probably did hate Mayo and we thought it was hate at the time because these guys are trying to take away our dreams. The Football Pod live Thursday June 2nd in Castle Bar. Check out otbsports.com forward slash events and get your tickets now. OTB's The Hurling Pod with James Skell and Paul Murphy. People of Galway, we love you! I don't want to leave the people of Warford down, you know, because they're my life, you know. People of Warford are my life, you know, and I, 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 love, I, love, I love my county, you know. We love Jambaland! It's almost like they're afraid to kind of mm. go and hurl and just let themselves express themselves. It's like as if they're nearly afraid to make a mistake and sometimes you have to make a mistake and just throw off that bit of nervousness and have a go. Yeah, it's pure constipated hurling. Welcome along to episode 13 of the Hurling Pod. Plenty to look back on from the weekend gone by. Red cards for Ozzy Gleeson and also for Hegarty as Limerick and Clare draw, which sets up a Munster final between the same two counties next month. Leinster goes down to the final day after the results from last weekend. Westmead pulling off a big surprise in Mullingar, getting a draw against Wexford, which means that the models will have to win against Kilkenny to have any chance of progressing to the All-Ireland Series. Galway, following their win against Leash, are already qualified for the All-Ireland Series and in pole position to qualify for the Leinster final but could we have final day drama when Galway go up against Dublin and Kilkenny host Wexford the relegation playoff effectively in Leinster is now a meeting of Westmead and Leash and following that point for Westmead Leash will have to win despite all of their injuries if they are to stay at senior level for next year in the Joe McDonough we've got the other tiered finals taking place at Croke Park this weekend but the Joe McDonough will be complete for the final this coming Saturday if Offaly can avoid defeat against Carlo they will join Antrim in the final after Offaly won a shootout in Austin Stack Park against Kerry last weekend. Delighted to say it, we've got James Gell and Paul Murphy uh, with me as always to have a look back at the weekend. How are you getting on lads? Great Will. Good stuff Will, how are you? Um, kind of looking back at some of the feedback that we've had over the last 24 hours, uh, people have been saying you guys spent 20 minutes on the Aaron Galan incident last week where he wasn't <laughs> sent off uh, for the swing on Ronan Marr. Are you going to spend 20 minutes talking about Hegarty getting two yellow cards that were hotly disputed? And will you guys be talking about Ozzy Gleeson and the two yellow cards which he received? I don't know if we're going to go 20 minutes. I'm not sure if it's a case of putting on a stopwatch, but I think these are all going to be significant talking points in the weekend just gone by. Fantastic. Championship fair. Uh, Cork are back in many ways with their victory against Waterford. Uh, they've put their fate back into their own hands about qualifying for the All Ireland series. Uh, well, what was a tremendous response? Paul, you were there at Welsh Park at the weekend, so maybe that's the place to start. How impressed were you by Cork and how disappointed were you by what we saw from Waterford, who, to my eyes, looked very flat even after the week off after the Limerick defeat? Yeah, um, I, I'm more inclined to give full credit to Cork here because, look, I'm, I'm one of their biggest critics really over the last while and, look, I, I would have feel ju- felt justified in, in, in criticising them over the last while but I was really impressed by him yesterday and, like, one thing I said before the game when I was chatting to John Duggan was just that we were kind of hoping that we would see from Cork yesterday what we saw from Tipperary in the Gaelic rounds and that was just you know a performance full of character full of spirit and something that we had that was completely lacking in all our other performances in the championship and for a man you know they, they did that and how they set up from the start um, you know their defence they seemed to go man to man even the likes of Niall O'Leary went straight out in Austin Gleeson and they were up in their face and they showed aggression and that was one big thing you know that we've said about uh, that Cork that they had to show this aggression and get up in their face 
we don't doubt that they have hurlers, but those are the things that we did doubt about them. And for me yesterday, they answered a lot of the critics. And you even think it likes a Seamus Harnady, five points from play. Conor Lehan, you know, three points from play and then two good frees as well. And you had supporting roles all over the place. Alan Connolly with his two great goals and just everywhere. Even even like um, Tim O'Mahony, you know, not starting him, bringing him in. And he got got to work straight away. And that to me said, before the game, they were talking about a leg injury and that. I think that was probably more tactical. And fair play to Kieran Kingston if it was that he said, you know what, I think our matchups might go better if I bring in Damien Cahillan, put him on Stephen Bennett. And all these, I think there was a bit more of that too because if, if Tim O'Mahony did have a leg injury, well, you probably weren't going to bring him on. But just Cork all over the pitch, you know, they just stuck to their task. They didn't let Watford take off in the first 10, 15 minutes. And then, you know, even the start of the second half, again, Cork took off and they laid down their marker in the second half. Once they got their goal, you know, in Austin Gleeson, like that was obviously, or the second goal, let's say, in Austin Gleeson being sent off, you really just saw it going no other way. And in fairness, there was there was rumours before the game that 4,000 tickets went down to Cork and 1,300 came back. It could have been the case. There wasn't huge numbers of Cork there. There was good few lads in front of us. But fair play, I have to also give credit to the Cork crowd who came and stuck with the Rebels this weekend because, you know, no more so, I think Paddy Marr came out and said that the Tipperary fans didn't follow in as much of droves as they could have to the Gaelic grounds when all seems to be kind of lost. You know, the Cork crowd, in fairness, went to Welsh Park, the, the, the 3,000 or so that went, and, you know, coming down the home stretch in the last five minutes, they were in full song and they were enjoying it. And fair play to Cork and look where they are now. So, um, Watford, yeah, they were flat. But I, I'm more inclined to say Cork here took the game by the scruff of the neck, went down to Welsh Park and now potentially are looking at a massive turnaround for this championship. Yeah, because James, when you consider the Cork crowd getting behind their team, their team gave them plenty to cheer about. Like I'm thinking of... One iconic moment during the game is where it still felt in the balance. Now, Waterford shooting was very wayward in the last 10 minutes when the game was in the stretch. I think seven of the nine shots that they had towards the end of the game ended up going either short or wide, which is very on Waterford-like. We were praising Mm -hmm. them earlier this year for how good their shot conversion was. But when the game was in the balance, Harnady puts his hand up into the afternoon sky at Welsh Park, pulls it down, goes on a run, taps it over the bar and then is there for the fist pump and a little bit of argy-bargy just after he's put it over. It was one of those moments that gives energy to the away supporters when he stuck the ball over the bar, had put them back four points in front. I'm thinking of Conor Lahan at one point towards the end of the game trying to be entirely clinical where uh, Kingston had gone off to one side, Lahan actually had an easy tap over the bar, but he decided to try and drive at the Waterford defence and to try and get a goal, which it looked like it was going to clinch the game for Cork towards the end. That kind of energy, that kind of intensity that we saw from Cork when the game was going down the stretch at the end, that makes it possible for the away fans to cheer you over the line in the closing stages. Yeah. And I think first place, if I'm a supporter going to a game, the first thing I want to see is just honest endeavour from the team. That's all. Just honest endeavour. They show that they're, they're going to give absolutely 100% of their might for the whole 70 minutes. And that's where Cork started. So once, once supporters see that and feel that, they get behind you no problem. If they see large distances between you and your marker, if they see a lack of effort, you know, even kind of lazy passing, that's where the energy just gets completely sapped. But Cork, like, were full value. And I'm siding with more big time on this one. Like, they were just excellent. I, I genuinely thought that everything was kind of stacked up against them in terms of Watford were the supposedly the second team to, to uh, behind Limerick and that they were going to bring them into Walsh Park a tight area and nearly just maul them to death you know <laughs> that's what I genuinely thought was going to happen and God like it was it was the opposite like I just Watford didn't I can't draw rhyme or reason to how Watford played the way they played and I'd say probably Liam Cahill went home last night driving home thinking what just happened you know because he probably saw 
loads of energy probably in his training sessions. The, the, his year to date has been full of, of positives from a Watford perspective. They're doing exactly what you presume he wants them to do, and then they throw in that performance. And that's one kind of that type of performance would perplex you because, like, where did it come from? Do you know? And it just it'll it, I suppose it stops the the momentum train going entirely. And now they put themselves in a difficult position whereby it, it's a it's shit now we get off the pot next week to be honest you know they have to because they're they, they hold their own destiny in their own hands and it's just very disappointing and like you look at the even the play stats like Cork got 216 from play Watford got 111 it's just 111 is just not enough like, it's just not enough in today's game and especially in a home crowd whereby you know you've got everything seemingly going with you in, in terms of like Walsh Park is, is a difficult place to go so you'd say you'd say they'd know every blade of grass and that you know they stay in the fight for 70 minutes but it kind of petered out towards the end so it's look it's disappointing from Walsh's perspective but like Cork were excellent like and I, like you said about Seamus Harnady like it, it's amazing what kind of what kind of energy goes into a team when a player does something like heroic as that goes up against the ball and even the jump of excitement when he got that point like he leapt two or three feet in the air that even you know rouses the crowd gets players behind you and get, keeps the keeps the thing moving forward which is look, it's excellent but they did exactly what they, what we, we thought they'd do at the start of the year they went toe to toe as Paul said they stood up and went after the fight and delivered a knockout so fair juice to Cork yeah Paul it was a bit like some of those performances in the league where we saw so much potential and even like in the All-Ireland games with the exception of the final last year where they did die against Limerick but there were big performances from Cork in the championship last year it was like that spirit had been bottled up again with the way that they hurled at the weekend and the other thing about this uh, Cork performance which to me seems so impressive is that they have seemed to have sorted out some of the defensive issues that they have we've spoken about this a lot but they've gone with a different uh, axis down the middle of their defence now and it seems they've got three and six now sorted at this stage and there was a much better collective effort I thought defensively from their team we've been there to criticise them before we criticised them after the league final we criticised the way that Limerick went through them in the second half particularly at Porky Queen <coughs> but it was a much tightened up performance defensively yesterday yeah, massively. And for me, there was just the, the one thing that really stood out was just that they went man for man. Um, I think that just that resolved any issues that they might have had because it seemed to be a case for so long that Cork didn't really know, look, when we're running back to our goal, what do we do? Who do we pick up? Are we going zonal? And it seemed to be that they're doing a kind of a zonal marking job, which didn't work. I mean, we saw Garold Hegarty cruising in for a goal in the All-Ireland final last year. That's zonal. That's not me taking responsibility for my man. So for minute one yesterday, when I looked, because that was for me the big thing that was going to tell if Cork were going to be in this game coming down the home straight was that what way are their backs setting up or what they're going to do and especially Damien Cahillan coming in like my natural instinct was to say that Damien Cahillan was going to go in full back and Robert Downey who maybe could drive up the pitch that bit more and in fairness to Damien Cahillan he's well able to do that but I thought Robert Downey might step out into that wing back position but that wasn't really the way they were going they just seemed to say lads we're going man for man so Cahillan you're going with Stephen Bennett like I said Niall O'Leary which was a big matchup was going with Austin Gleeson and wherever he was going we were talking last week about how do you mark Aaron Gillan you put your hand on him and you stay beside him and you hold him and you let him know you're there Niall O'Leary was doing that and you know obviously later we'll get into it about maybe Austin Gleeson's yellow cards and that but for me it looked like it and um, like you know John Keenan on the sideline was who's doing linesman he must be hoarse now waking up the, this morning because he was shouting at him so much because he was playing with fire uh, Niall O'Leary and I was going this is brilliant 
Let him warn you two or three times and wait for James Owens to come down. Because if you're doing that, well, then you're playing, like Tommy used to always say about treading the line, like, you know, where's the line? And put your toes right on the line and even put your toes over the line. Play right up there, you know. And that's what they were doing. And as soon as I saw that, I said, okay, these lads now, they're not here to hang around. They're not here to just let Watford walk their way into a Munster final. So for me, what what really summed up Cork yesterday, and I think which got rid of any doubts or questions in their backline was, they went man for man. And whether you're a cornerback and you ended up centre-back and you're following your man, well, that's fine, you're following your man. If your man drifts, you drift with your man. And they, they just struck the balance right then in terms of once we win the ball then, <coughs> yes, go and support. But, you know, don't go fleeting up the pitch and we we lose possession and now suddenly Austin Gleeson is free in the, in the full back line or Stephen Bennett is free, you know. Make that call that has to be instinctive on the pitch as to when you cut off and go back and get your man again. So for me, they brought it back to you know very basic defending, which sometimes you just have to do in case if, if there's any doubts in the back line. Just go back to basics, go man for man, follow your man, and just do it with a lot of heart, a lot of aggression. And that's what Cork did. And for me, that was the platform that won it for him yesterday. Yeah, I love the way that you relish tight defending and uh, good defensive systems almost as much as uh, other people enjoy scores and scores from out the pitch. One thing about this, James, when it came to scoring, what has happened to Waterford's shooting and their shot selection during the game? Because even in the Tipperary game, I always fancied that Waterford were going to create enough solutions towards the end of the game and that they would actually create enough chances and take them. And ultimately it happened and they won. In this case, though, especially after Gleeson went off the pitch and Gleeson was having a very good game before he was sent off but it almost felt like there was a little bit of panic in the way that Waterford yeah. were taking their approach I even think of one that stands out to me was Tyg de Burke with about six or seven minutes to go goes on a run right down the middle of the field and he has no support whatsoever traffic. and ends up yeah. running into traffic and turning the yeah. ball over yeah you're right you're right I think um, like I, I wrote down a couple of things here let's say with, with regards to uh, Jesse Hutchison so Jesse Hutchison by my count only got the ball into his hand let's say four times and he was blocked down three times you know, so I think Waterford couldn't actually establish their their play. Now I'm going to ask a ridiculous question here: Did the pitch actually inhibit their style? You know, the parameters of the pitch because we didn't see Desi have any involvement at all. And I think the long range shooting—it's easy for us to say it's very bad. It was bad, but they were forced to shoot long because I think Cork did exactly what Murphy was saying. They packed out their defence, and that's that's the platform. First and foremost, protect the house. You know, and if if, if you're not conceding, you have a chance going forward. And I just think Waterford couldn't get balls into the corner they couldn't get Desi on the ball they couldn't get their support runs run through because there was nothing to follow nothing to support to be honest um, and it just again it, it just sapped the energy so like, I'd be always saying to our guys at home in the club to say if, you know, take your percentage shots like, don't be taking crazy shots from crazy angles and then it going wide and it just sapping the life out of the team because that's exactly what it does it just drains the battery you know and I, I, th- I was looking at Watford and you know like Joyce did very well held, held very well at six but the, the, even the shots that Watford got they were like ludicrous shots you know they weren't even long range 60 yards in the middle they were off on the sideline way out you know you're thinking especially in Watch Park where they've got you know juvenile goals and you know a, a huge breeze like it doesn't exactly lend itself towards long range shooting so I think they got surprised a bit I don't think they expected Cork to be as, as to be honest as ferocious as they were I thought them. I, I think they they probably obviously respected Cork, but I thought they they might even maybe expect to repeat the league final if that's not to be too disrespectful, you know, in the way that that game went about. But uh, I just think they're stunned, and like this could be a really good thing for Watford. It could be the best thing that happens to them. It just might shock them back into into a bit of realism again, let's say, and prime them for next week where they've got a really tough challenge up in us. Yeah, like realistically, Paul, when it came to some of that shot selection, there were a couple that that paid off. I think. Uh, 
Shane Bennett put one over his shoulder from long range, which was not really in a great shooting position. Montgomery put one over from long range, but generally that shooting, particularly when Cork had taken a little bit of a lead, was very poor by Waterford's own high standards. And also they weren't creating the types of goal chances that they were creating if we go back to the league final that wasn't that long ago. And they were creating space and you know, Desi Hutchinson was a, a nuisance that night. Even if he wasn't getting the ball a whole lot, at least he was he was moving around really well. I guess a lot of the credit has to go down to Cork. Like Cork hassled and harried and made it very difficult for Waterford. And we saw a panic out of Waterford, which hasn't really been there earlier this season. Yeah, we did. And it is, I'd agree with you. There's there's both, I think, are accountable in this. There, Cork are, you know, up their work rate, worked that bit harder. And maybe maybe Waterford took their foot off the gas a small bit. Because something we saw from Cork yesterday that we haven't overly seen was their pressure of the player on the ball actually getting blocks and hooks. I think there was one passage of play where even Connerly Han got a hook or a block and there was two blocks in a row. And like, I mean, that in the game at the moment, in the modern game in hurling, is quite hard to do with the way players are using the ball and using it so well and moving it around. So for, for, for players to actually get in and get two blocks in a row usually that's indicating that they're putting savage pressure on the opposition team and that the opposition team are striking off balance, they're striking, you know, um, over the shoulder or different things. But that was something, that was an indicator for me that Cork are really, really getting up and aggressive here now with Watford. But like you're saying with Watford, they then fed into that because when you, when, when Cork were putting the pressure on, Cork were feeding off that pressure when they'd get a hook or a block or turn over a ball. And likewise, which is as good as anything, is if Waterford themselves make a bad decision, the ball goes wide, you hear the crowd groaning, you hear the Cork crowd cheering, that feeds into your, I suppose, uh, momentum as well. Because you hear that and you go, that's something Waterford don't usually do. And we're making them do it. We're making them hit silly wides. We're making them, like like the ball with Tyke de Burka, ran up the middle. No runners off the shoulder. Like, that is alien to, to, to Watford and what we talk about Watford each week. You go back into the league. Every week here, we were talking about Watford and the runners off the shoulder, runners off the shoulder. Even go back as far as last year, this is what we're talking about, off the shoulder. You know, you see the likes of Jamie Barron coming off as well. Like, Liam Cal made big calls as well. He took off Jamie Barron. He took off Stephen Bennett and these lads. And then another indicator as well was after the game, Liam Cal said that, you know, he made a bit of a statement about the players on the pitch not doing what we're telling them and, you know, something in that line to, to, to paraphrase it a small bit. And I think, there, you know, there's something there. They've stepped away from what they're doing. Liam Cal is, is now in public saying that they've stepped away from what they're doing. And do they have a problem? I wouldn't say a huge problem. They can get, the back, they can get it back right, but the only way to get it back right is if the Watford players actually go, do you know what? We've dropped our standards here. We think that we're moving better than what we are. But the, the minute we drop off it by 1% or 2%, well, then the whole thing falls apart and we leave the door open for, for teams to come in. So it's the whole thing, the, you know, the game as a whole and where Watford are at the moment is, is, is really interesting because they're not the same Watford that we even saw in the league. They've stepped off it a small bit and they've allowed teams like Cork this 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 slip of a chance to get into the game and and you see it now Cork are taking that chance and Cork are back in when realistically Cork should have been done and dusted really in this championship and that's not to be unfair unfair to Cork yeah brings me around uh, Skell to our first question from the listeners this week S Faulkner 95 in contact has the last few weeks proved that league form doesn't matter at all I mean clearly we've seen say Limerick and Cork who had fairly indifferent league campaigns Limerick probably even had a poor enough league campaign are going to a Munster final Wexford who looked really good are now really up against it to try and qualify in Leinster and Waterford who were the league champions are now up against it themselves having to go and get a win Mm -hmm. against Clare and hope the Tipperary get a result against Cork (coughs) at the same time 
is league form to be written off entirely this year or is it a case that some teams have stepped it up in championship where are you on this I, I, I think it's, it's, it's one or two things like if you're in a position of Henry Sheffield you're trying to find what you have in the league you know you're trying to probably I suppose throw, throw in players in different positions see what you have throw like, you know, can you blood a few new players that's, that's one side of it right so that's why he'd, he'd use the league as a platform the other side of it then is teams just getting minutes into players probably trying to in, injury management trying to get a bit of a bit of work into the legs so the league really it's 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 great to win it it's fantastic to win it but it's not the be all end all about winning it you know it's just more about getting I suppose systems into place tactics players etc in preparation for the championship so if, so to summarise league for me doesn't mean an awful lot it means F all if I'm, if I'm being honest the championship is the be all and end all of it all and that's proven time and time again like you know it's a rarity you see you know the league champions winning that Ireland championship you know, it's, it happens in Kenya's time Limerick's time obviously but it doesn't happen year in year out so teams don't take it as seriously as they obviously do the championship so but like even the championship us, us calling the championship games like I'm getting games wrong every week you know th- form like, we're talking about the league form right but form week to week I can't even get it right you know because when you look at the Tipperary what they produced against Limerick versus what they produced against uh, against Clare like, it's, it's hard to know what a team's going to do next week you know so that's why I was searching Watford were going to beat Cork I was I thought Limerick could beat Clare different story right but and I was searching Wexford would beat, would beat uh, Westmead and here I am you know 0 for 3 <laughs> so like it's it's hard to tell so like it's very difficult I know a league is fine but it doesn't mean anything in the grand scheme of things you know <clears throat> whereas as we're saying week to week is an impossible challenge yeah, speak for yourself. I'm going to mute you for a second because you said <laughs> stop clock twice a day. I called this game between Clare and Limerick perfectly on uh, OTBAM last week, one of the very few uh, quick picks that I've actually got right this season. Because again, a bit like the lads, I thought there's a big ask for Cork now who have had two poor performances so far. Waterford will just go to Welsh Park. They're going to win this game and they'll be on the cusp of a Munster final before the ball is even thrown in between Clare and Limerick. And instead, Cork won and have blown the Munster Championship wide open, which is actually great for the neutral. And it's going to be the same when we talk about Leinster that is fantastic that four teams are still fighting out for a couple of places going into the last day which is good fun too and we don't know the Leinster finalists at all before those games begin Um, when it comes to the league debate for you Paul I think this is difficult too because Clare when you take the players that have come back in and you know we saw Mean coming off the bench at the weekend and the players that they got fit in the break between the league and championship when you're looking at say a team like Clare it's a different set of players that they had during the league compared to what they have in championship and some of these teams have just hit a little bit of fire as the championship have come around too is that fair or is the listener entirely correct here Mr Faulkner that we were sold a pup with the league form no I think league form like you just have to bury league form every year at the end of it don't presume that because you played poorly in the league that that's your year done don't presume that because you went and you won the league that you're just going to go and win the All-Ireland now. Like Teams are all approaching. Like For the All-Ireland champions any year, generally the All-Ireland champions coming into the league may not win the league. The reason being is because they're, they finish later in the year. And again, team holidays and different things play into it. I mean, people might think that's a bit strange, but team holidays do. You know, players need that break. And if you're a good management, you let players have that break. As a result... It, particularly now, you return back to your pre-season work later than every other team. That's if you're All-Ireland champions and, and possibly the other finalists as well. So those two teams generally maybe start a little bit slower coming into the league. And then some teams just find their form. Look at Wexford in, in, in the league, you know. Um, we were looking at Wexford and I think James had him as, as the number one team in the country at one stage. And, you know, justifiably, a lot of people would have said it and flying it. But the thing is, is sustaining that over the course of the year, you know, 
Um, it's 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 great to be going well in the league sometimes. But if you were to at, at January first say to any manager, listen, you're going to have a middle of the road league, but your championship is going to be brilliant. You'd say perfect. No manager will take. Oh yeah, we're going to go win the league, but we're not going to have a great championship. So like, what you're doing is you're trying to go into the league and perform where you get to see a few players, blood a few players, get a fair idea of your team, get a lot of lads like a bit of hurling. And if that gets you as far as the league final, brilliant. But if it somehow makes your championship suffer, nearly every manager will go, oh no, listen, let's take a step back from that. Mm-hmm. So what I would say with the league, and you know, Brian would have always said it to us, is listen lads, bury that, it's done. And now obviously he would have liked you to take a bit of confidence and you know, if you're going well, keep that coming. But mistakes, leave them there all the good stuff you did okay leave that there also any bit of ego you think you have from the league that you're going well leave that there so I think any year leave the league for once the league is done leave it alone and now you're facing into the championship it's a new for better or for worse it's a, it's a brand new chapter it's a new slate just go for championship so I think this is the case with league every year I'm going to give Evan a hern because he contacts us nearly every week on Instagram two questions one is historical which has become relevant again and one is directly about the game at the weekend so James you can have first shout on this Downey enjoys finally a proper 3-6 and six. so Evan's a Cork fan he reckons Cork have now got 3-6 and six sorted relax <laughs> calm down everybody just chill out a small bit right Downey was your 3 last year look what happened you know just relax uh, if, if he puts forward a good couple of games and say where they, they keep their system they keep the same intensity they keep the same structure you know they keep the same amount of bodies at the back and Downey and, and Joystin are pivotal to that whole system fine I'll put my hand up and say that they've found the 3-6 and six, but I'm not going to say the jury's out it's not out I just I, I remain a small bit wary you know because I, Downey had a good semi-final last year but he got he, he got opened in the in the uh, final so I am just giving the, giving the fella time Joyce he's very new to the position He's a hardy fella, good on the high ball. So like he looks like a fella that can, you know, make the sixth position his own. But again, I won't go as far as saying that they've been nailed down just yet. Okay. Well it does liberate up Mark Coleman a little bit too, which I think is is helpful in the grander scheme of things about them getting their balance within the team. Now Evan brought up a good few weeks ago, I think it was back towards the end of the National Hurling League, this idea that Patrick Horgan at some point, particularly given his age profile, could end up becoming an impact sub as opposed to being on the pitch. Now, Paul, you were there watching the game at Welsh Park. In some ways, the Cork forward line actually operated better when he wasn't on the pitch. And firstly, I want to say congratulations to Horgan on officially going over the mark and becoming the top championship scorer of all time. And we know that this is a guy who's likely to end up with 600 plus points. And it's going to be a chase for TJ or whoever else is around at the end of Horgan's career to try and catch him. But in a way, Cork operated better when he wasn't there yesterday. Yeah, and and a big a big part of it was when Tim O'Mahony came on. Tim O'Mahony provided something... Like he seemed to be there fundamentally as a ball winner, a, a man who was going to anchor that full forward line. And you know, when the ball went in, he was making runs from from very deep. Because I was looking at him going in, he was in corner forward, he was in full forward, and he was sitting in deep, and he was making runs out. And if we think back to the league when we're talking about Cork, one of the things that I was saying that was like absolutely brilliant with Cork was they would feed the ball in and then recycle it to the man who's coming running through from midfield onwards and you think about it how they got the goal here was uh, was it Seamus Harrity came running through Tim O'Mahony won it popped it off he wasn't the man going to go and take on the forward it was or the defender it was popping it off and, and that was something Cork were actually doing really well during the league and something they kind of stopped doing then or other teams just managed to to get rid of or stop, stop Cork from doing it so what Tim O'Mahony offered there was 
maybe a little bit of a curveball as well for Watford going well we didn't prepare for this we prepared for lots of things but we didn't prepare for Tim O'Mahony up here he pr- he probably brought a bit of physicality as well that a defender would bring oh, as, as much as a defender would bring a bit of awkwardness into a forward line he brought a bit of physicality and a different kind of an angle here a different dynamic to the to the full forward line and in fairness to Kieran Kingston as well which I have to say he took off Patrick Horgan like he just went do you know what Patrick Horgan there I, like I'm I have him down here for four frees he got like that says it all he wasn't winning um, he wasn't winning the ball overly in play he wasn't providing for other players or if you look like a Robbie O'Flynn Robbie O'Flynn didn't I don't have him down for a score here from play but he was dynamic and he was winning ball and he set up the first goal you know so that's I think Kieran Kingston was reading what he was seeing he was going do you know what if we're to have a serious crack at this personalities everything has to go out the window I have to play what's in front of me like Tim O'Mahony came on I don't think Tim O'Mahony got a point but he provided for other lads around him and he, he was kind of this thing of okay we've lovely hurlers around me send the ball in I'll disrupt it I'll win it and I'll pop it off so yeah he did um, Tim Manny made a great impact and taking off Patrick Horgan actually did uh, benefit I suppose for want of a better word that's not to be hired on Patrick Horgan it did benefit the Cork <coughs> forwards but those are the calls Kieran Kingston has to make and I think if the likes of Patrick Horgan you know Patrick Horgan is a competitor he'll go listen the next day I know I have to open I can't just be competing from the freeze they can't just be on the scoreboard from the freeze I have to provide for this team and it maybe puts a small bit more of an edge to Patrick Horgan as well going forward so for me that move of taking Patrick Horgan off and bringing Tim O'Mahony on benefited both players and benefited the forward line going forward Alright James Patrick Horgan is going to shush us for even the idea in one of his celebrations of saying that he should be an impact sub or maybe playing a different role and they go with a different forward line you're Kingston getting ready for this weekend you're getting ready to play a must win game against Tipperary Patrick Horgan does he start or not for you? Oh he starts oh, 100% he starts yeah I, I just like he's he's the same age as, as I am he's, he's 34 this year so he's um, you know like I got, I got a bit of flack a couple of weeks ago for mentioning TJ about you know, the legs slowing down a small bit but that, that's my point to say what do we expect of these lads who are you know 33, 34, 35 we don't expect them to be like like March hairs around the place <laughs> you know what I mean there has to be a small bit of respect to put on, put on their current capabilities you know so I, I understand what Kingston did. Uh, he took off Horgan because he just didn't get the rub of the green. Didn't ball, didn't hound, uh, bounce from. Again, I repeat, tight pitch. He was he was uh, tightly marked. But still, notwithstanding all that, he still starts next week. You know, he's still a sharpshooter. He's still, still capable of a moment of magic. So you always have him in there. And again, if it doesn't, if he doesn't get the rub of the green next week, look, you repeat it again and, and bring, in, bring in a sub. But I, I, I don't think what we saw from Patrick yesterday... Like and how what we've seen from this even over the course of this year, last year, etc., warrants him not starting. I don't think so. Unless something unless he's carrying an injury that we don't know about, obviously. Um but like for me he's he's one of the first guys in the name sheet currently. Yeah. I think we should we should relish and enjoy the class of nineteen eighty seven for as long as we possibly can because uh, some of these players are absolute legends of the game and are coming towards the end of their career. It maybe just means a slightly different role if they're gonna squeeze a few more seasons out of themselves. It'd be intriguing to see. But I think with Patrick Horgan you got to play him because aside from else he's yeah. free taker going into this weekend against Tipperary too that's a must win game for them after this week uh, let's talk about Ozzy Gleeson then Paul because you were there in Welsh Park watching it and some Waterford fans feel it was very soft and that maybe it was his reputation going before him what's your take on the two incidents where he gets yellow carded well yeah the first one I think was the silly one out of him like going in leaving a bit of a shoulder on someone getting a yellow card that's silly and I don't think you can argue with that because mm. you're, you're wide open there 
The second one for me, I didn't see it there and then. Um, obviously, no screen in, in Welsh Park. I just saw that he was on the ground. And I, the first I saw of it, you know, the Cork lads were over trying to pick him up off the ground. And I didn't even think there was anything the referee had to go and look at. I just thought there might have been a disagreement. But looking back on it, um, to be honest, I think he was damned if he did or damned if he didn't. And what I mean by that is any time in a, in a hurling or football game, where you see two players tussling, the referee invariably goes over and books both lads, gives them yellow cards. Um, it's very hard for any one individual player. So let's say if, if if myself and James are going in for an argument and Skehel starts something with me, even if I leave my hands out to the side and I show, shout to the umpire, shout to the linesman, I'm doing nothing, you know, and it's Skehel that's instigating and all this, I, I, I'll still get booked you know you, how often, do you know what I mean like how often do you see it where the player still gets booked who doesn't instigate anything like you know I was even thinking of ice hockey in this where that you know the instigator gets punished and the aggressor gets punished where the person who isn't instigating doesn't get punished which is which is great so I think Austin Leeson was going to get a second yellow anyway once there was a tussle the other thing I will say though is Austin Leeson didn't do anything to stop the situation, which didn't help his cause. Like, we'll get on to Garrod Hegarty later on, and lads will say, oh, you know, should it or shouldn't have been. But Austin Leeson, when you look at the replay, he does wrap his hands around Robert Downey as well, and he does tussle, and he does push, and he does drag. So when James Owens turns around, <coughs> the linesman turns around, there's two lads pulling and dragging, and they, they kind of have to give him a yellow card then. But my verdict on it is, we shouldn't be sending lads off for these things. This should not be a sending off because... You know, Austin Deason didn't strike anyone here. He didn't go out of his way. He didn't. He wasn't the instigator. He wasn't the aggressor. He was a bit silly in the whole thing. But if we're sending lads off for this, you know, and we've heard it said over the weekend is, if we're sending lads off for this, we're going to have no one left on the pitch. So I think there has to be a bit more finer analysis done into it by the linesman and by the referee. In that situation, I'd like common sense. I'd like the referee to come over and talk to the linesman and say, did either of them lads actually hit each other? Because I have one fell on a yellow card here and... If it was harmless enough handbag stuff, I'm going to go over and tell both of them, particularly your man on the yellow, that if you do it again, you're gone. Um, but also warn your man for instigating because the instigator is very rarely punished more than the fella he's he's instigating with, if you get me. So I think Austin Gleason was damned if he did or damned if he didn't, but it's very soft red card overall. Yeah, it becomes cliche, James, because this is what happens when two players are on the ground and there's a tussle or they're wrestling or whatever happens down there. And if it gets picked up by the officials and they see it happening, typically the referee will go in and flash a yellow to both players. And this is what tends to happen. So by the layer of the law and probably by the expectation of the way the cards are handed out, you fully expect two yellows are going to happen in that instant. But then, as Murph has just said, the referee could go in, just speak to both, give them a stern talking to uh, put his arms out to say, look, do that again, and there's going to be yellow cards issued, and allow it to go when they're in the knowledge that you know you're going to give a second yellow and you're sending a player off. So later of the law, it's probably the right decision, but on the face of it, it seems quite soft. Like I, I when I see these these instances, like these 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 incidents, should I say, I generally try to put myself into the the shoes of the you know the official. So I put myself in the shoes of the linesman yesterday, and I know James Owens had a look back and he saw he saw the the two boys tangling, and I think what did it for me was yes. Uh, Ozzy didn't instigate it but he didn't he reacted and then wha- whatever way it looked like and that's what it is it's just it's how it looks it's the, it's the aesthetics of it all his hurl kind of swung around your man so it looked you know slightly dangerous you know and de- definitely beyond the rules so we're look we have the benefit of hindsight and so we can look at this action replays and we can digress it and go through different angles etc the officials are in real time they've got to make a decision within probably you know, 30 seconds etc and so they're under pressure so I, I do I, I, I'm obviously championing officials for making you know discretionary calls and trying to keep it common sense as best you can 
But in that instance, it's very hard to argue that Ozzy couldn't get sent off. Like, he had to go for what for what was put in front of the officials. I can't argue with the officials, you know. And certainly with the first one, there's no argument there whatsoever. So I, I, I fully agree with Paul what he's saying about the the instigator, the aggressor. Um, I get what he's saying fully. I've seen it time and time again, and you, you see it an awful lot in football. Like for players getting treatment, like David Clifford gets an awful lot of it. Like he was booked, in the, you know, for for somewhat defending yourself. You know what I mean? Um, but notwithstanding all that, Ozzy had to go. He had to go, and like I don't think he can have any complaints. I think a man of his stature, he, as, as easy it is for me to say, lads, don't get me wrong, it's very difficult to do with the pitch. He, he can't react to that. You're on a bloody yellow card, tight championship game. Like, just, just lie there. <laughs> just lie there. Take whatever's going to give you and just get on with it. Because no matter what happens, especially if you if you re-engage, like, you're you're on very, very fine territory. And he had to have known when he got up, I'm gone here. Had to have. Killer moment in the game as well, Skell, when he gets sent off. Because... Ozzy Gleeson was one of those kind of leading oh, lights for Waterford geez. that was half keeping them in the game. Now, I appreciate Cork could have won anyway, and as some Cork supporters have pointed out that the game had maybe swung in Cork's favour anyway. But if you're looking for anyone to dig that game out for Waterford, it would have been Gleeson with the way he was hurling. Yeah, look at the way he changed the game when he came on against Tipperary. You know, he provided great energy to people off the pitch and to lads on the pitch. Like, so when you take that out, like I, I, I will say like he's the nucleus of the team, no matter what people say. Um, despite how I suppose temperamentally can be at times but if you're looking to kind of crack open a game and for someone to do something special like when the normal 5 8 player can't he's your guy so for him to get sent off Jesus killer to a team killer to your teammates as well it's, it's very hard like when you're in when you're a teammate like on the pitch and you know you're in a, you're in a battle and you're trying to scrape for everything like you're looking for every advantage every decision anything you can cling on to to get, to get scores on the pitch uh, and on the board should I say and then your main guy gets sent off oh just killer <laughs> do you know what I mean just saps energy and as I said it drains the battery like you know so but like I, I said it after the Wexford game you would think he he has to learn you know and I'm going to say it again he has to learn you know, this is the treatment he's I won't say created for himself but he's such a good player that like he's going to get this treatment now and us here in the media like we don't help let's say in terms of putting publicity onto it so this is going to follow him like but like he's made his own bed now on a number of times and he's going to have to lie in it and have to learn that like he can't be getting involved in these fractures all the time. I wonder, by the way, Paul, how much of an influence the media really has in all this. Because I, I realise there's a certain amount of you know, trial by jury almost on the Sunday game when mm. there's the footage and everybody's watching back the match and whatever is said holds a certain amount of consequence. But mm-hmm. like John Kiley said in his interviews with the print media, particularly, I think, after the game. So there's a video particularly on Sporting Limerick, if you want to have a look back, which is the wider conversation that uh, John Kiley had with the local media, which was a little bit different to his RT interview. He was a little bit spiky when he spoke to Martin Kiley on RT radio yesterday too but he was making the point about you know some pundits and almost an idea of the media putting pressure onto officials and building a narrative which he spoke about about Limerick and this tended to creep in a little bit earlier this year and I think there was maybe a point to what John Kiley was saying if we go back to Donal Ogue's comments after Hegarty got the red card against Galway where he really went in hard on the idea that you know Limerick had been getting away with offences last year but this is just kind of splitting people into two totally different camps again I took up a tweet last night I stand over my belief on this that I think Hegarty was extremely unlucky to be sent off. To me, both yellow cards were very questionable and I'm not sure if either of them were actually a yellow card offence. We can dig into the detail on that a little bit. But on the media side, Paul, do you reckon the referees are actually being all that influenced or do you reckon this is a clever move by John Kiley when the game finishes to say, I'm going to defend my player and I'm also going to get in ahead of the idea of that narrative carrying into later in the championship and I'll make people maybe doubt the fact that actually my team are being unfairly covered currently. 
Yeah, I think that's exactly it. Um, I think John Kelly has nothing to lose by saying that. And, and more so to the point, like you said, that he's actually coming out and, and defending his player, which I think is fully right in this in this situation. You know, Don Logue did make comments about that, saying they were getting away with it. I didn't like that saying that they were getting away with different things. Like, that's not Limerick's fault. That's the referee's fault. So to say as if Limerick are pulling sly ones here, getting rid of it. To be honest, at the moment, I've seen lots of incidences to say that Limerick are the team that are getting less of these calls than anyone else. Like, you know, so... like. Uh, to, to say that Limerick are getting away with stuff at this stage would be definitely unfair. Are the referees listening to media? I, I, I give credit to referees and say they're probably not. They're, they're well aware of it. I think every referee wants to go out and be seen to be absolutely neutral, make really calm decisions and make a really good game. I think that's what all the referees want to do. What I think influences the referee that little bit more is the crowd. So we look at the, the, the Hegarty incident without getting into it yet. If we look at the Hegarty incident, the crowd erupted there. So like straight away, the umpire or the referee is going, Jesus Christ, you know, five or six or 10,000 people can't be wrong here. There's surely something here. The umpires are under pressure then, the linesman's under pressure to do something. Like, you know, it wasn't a straight red, it was a yellow. So I think if anything, the crowd maybe play a bigger influence even than the media here. But just to touch back, one of the points I thought about where we can defend players, and this is not so much Garrod Hegarty, I'm, I'm probably talking more so Austin Gleeson here, where we say, you know, was he hard done by, or, you know, should he have been in that position or whatever? What I would say is, like, Austin Gleeson is in the same boat as, you know, the likes of Garrod Hegarty, as TJ Reid, as Patrick Horgan, you know, as Lee Chin, these lads. They're the lads who are marked out that we have to go at that person. Do you see this happening to TJ Reid every week? No, no you don't I, I don't think TJ's been sent off do you see it happening to Lee Chin no do you see the Patrick walk, happening to Patrick Corrigan no because they walk away they just go I'm not getting involved in this I'm not putting myself in the position to actually get sent off here and do something silly so there is an element to that for the likes of Austin Gleeson but if we're talking about Garrod Hegarty um, this incident yesterday he should he should have walked off the pitch yesterday full time with no yellow cards because the first one, David McInerney should have been, if anything, given the yellow card for not backing away. I was, I remember we played Claire Hernandez a few years ago. I deliberately ran in front of a Podge Collins free so he wouldn't take it quickly. They brought it forward 10 yards and I was given a black book or something. And I was going, yeah, that's expected because I'm stopping the play from going on. I know you, what I'm at. You knew exactly what you're doing when you no, said right. that. David yeah. McInerney knows exactly what he's doing. Yeah, and I think David yeah. McInerney's looking at it going, I can't believe Garrod Hegarty got yeah. yellow for that. Garrod Hegarty didn't hit him. He didn't strike him with the hurl. Limerick take quick sidelines. David McNerney stood in front of him, stopping him taking the quick sideline, and somehow Garrod Hegarty got punished for trying to take a quick sideline. Shouldn't have been a yellow card. The second one was not a yellow card either, so he shouldn't have been sent off. So, do, does the media play an influence? I don't think so. Um, does the crowd play an influence? Um, yeah, I think the crowd plays a little bit more of an influence, but I understand why John Kiley came out and is particularly thorny about it and is defending his players. Yeah, right. On the one side, underneath that tweet, which was just basically the video of the replay of Colin Lines, the referee, going over to speak to his officials. First of all, the linesman, then the umpire. Took a long time for them to come to the decision. And <coughs> give the referee credit, he tried to get as many eyes and as many yeah. views on the incident as he possibly could, which would indicate to me that it was in his mind beforehand if I produce the second yellow, Hegarty's going to get the line. So he knew that before he was making the decision. He tried to take his time about it. And in my opinion, the way that Fitzgerald hits the ground and the fact that he's holding his stomach makes it look like the strike has not been hurley on hurley, but instead it's actually made connection with the body and that the swing was a lot more aggressive than it looked. And ultimately the rule on this, I think it's rule 5.6, is careless use of the hurl is a caution, that you should caution the player. Now, 
I was humoured by two former inter-county All-Ireland final referees who I sent uh, WhatsApps to just to see what their take was on the two Hergarty yellow cards. Both, independently, this wasn't a group, there were two separate messages, both said that they would not have booked Hegarty for either instance. So for the first one, the feeling was that the caution would have actually been a discussion with him about taking the line ball too quickly. So you would go over and you would say, look, calm it down a little bit, just wait until I'm ready for you to take the line ball. Don't do it when a player is in the line of sight right in front of you. Go back, take it again, and the game moves on. So that wouldn't (laughs) have been a yellow card in either of their opinions. And for the second one, the feeling was that it was very much on the lower end of carelessness with the hurl. So Hegarty's hurl does wrap around a little bit, but the referee actually thought that there was contact with the body, which made it look like it was a much more dangerous hit than it was. Do you think that that's the case, James? Or do you think that actually Hegarty put himself in a lot of trouble, knowing he was on a yellow card and swinging his hurl around? Um, no, like I, I think, again, you, you can't watch that incident in a slow-mo because it's not, it's not real. It doesn't give a true reflection of actually what happened in real time. It doesn't give a reflection of what the umpire saw or the referee say. So I, I, I just discredit the slow motion straight away. I look at it in real time. And careless use of the hurl, you can argue that, right? But I'd be very disappointed now on Fitzgerald the way he went down. You know, the way, like even you look at the mirror, the the, uh, the hurley carrier for Clare behind the incident, like so Fitzgerald the foul's committed, and then Fitzgerald drops. Then the hurley carrier puts his hands up. You know, so even he reacted to to Fitzgerald. He didn't see anything swinging with the hurl. I know if I see a guy swinging with the hurl, I'm reacting to that straight away. But he react, he waited for Fitzgerald to go down. Then he put his hands up. One of his own people. So I think he was. Um, Look, to be honest, it was bad form by Fitzgerald. You know, like I, I was here arguing about Ronan Maher last week, but Ronan Maher did get a clip. Like you know, he did get a clip, but he got up. Um, but in this instance, Fitzgerald, I I wouldn't be best pleased if I was him now this morning with, with, with what's what's happened to Garage. But like, they're neither yellows. I guess even the first one, like well, I remember we 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 had a championship game in club. Uh, we were taking quick puck outs the full forward kept coming in the, in the first half trying to stop me from the puck outs so I, I asked the umpires what can you do about this they said nothing I said fine next puck out I threw it up in front of him and swung and he went down like a ton of bricks and the referee came in and booked me but your man didn't come in again right and I, I remember at the time being agree- I felt aggrieved like you know because I got booked because your man is stopping me from from playing you know what I mean we are back in the dark arts again both of you have admitted <laughs> to the fact you've done things you shouldn't have done he walked across the line of a guy trying to take a line ball you've decided look I'm going to lump the ball at this full forward who's getting in my space when I'm trying to poke the ball out so yeah. I'm, I'm glad you're both admitting this, this is like oh a yeah therapy C- come session. here look at it from my perspective right I'm just throwing up the ball poking it out and if someone happens to get in the way and they shouldn't be there well I'm sorry <laughs> do you know what I mean they shouldn't be there but so I'm Again, look, I, I do go back to your previous point about Cullum Lyons. In fairness to the fella, he did take ample amount of time because he probably knew that there was a bit riding on this, you know. And I don't think Anthony came into from the media perspective with, you know, Garrett Hegarty and what, what is probably the follow along at the minute. So he took, he only probably took the message that he was given. I think he had a blocked few. He was looking from the, looking at Garrett's back, obviously. So he was depending on the linesman and depending on umpires who had different views. So I'd say he was given misinformation. But it's not a yellow. And I know someone tweeted the, the rule book to you, Will or to us, should I say, if people were to be just that like linear and look at the rule book for exactly what it is, there'd be a million frees a game. I stated here before, the club game is refereed entirely different to the county game. Like there would have been 500 frees yesterday if that was a club game. And like in fairness, this is what people want. They want the game 100 miles an hour, intense tackling. I couldn't tell what was a free yesterday sometimes, you know. That's what people want. If the, if the game was being stopped with frees and frees and frees, I guarantee you the public would be in uproar. Because that's not what they want. They're crying out for action. And that's what they're given. So when you have an instant like this every now and then, that's, you know, it's, 
It's on the line. It's on the line a bit now. I won't. I won't. And Kilkenny boys were very good at it back in the day too. They're on the line. You know what I mean? <laughs> so like, <laughs> but sometimes, sometimes you step over the line. But Garrish didn't step over the line yesterday. We spoke to uh, Brian Gavin on the club championship show on off the ball earlier this year, and this came off the back of the Lockmore Castellani game when they played against Ballygunner and. In many ways, the Tipperary champions that day got sucked into instance. And in the end, you had the John McGrath mm-hmm. red card. And we were speaking to Brian about that. That It was two sides to it. On one hand, Ballygunner were very clever in the way that they put pressure onto the officials uh, to ensure the cards came out during some of these 50-50 instants. And also, there was a certain amount of going on the ground and making the most of instance. I'm not trying yeah. to have a go at Aaron Fitzgerald here, but I think he went down knowing full well the contact had been made, probably felt contact on the front of his hurley, hit the ground and he has the ball in one hand and his other hand goes around his stomach. I'm not buying the suggestion, and this was made by Derek Lynch from Clare FM uh, overnight, that he was winded from a previous instance where he had uh, taken a heavy hit, I think about 50, 60 seconds beforehand. There's no way for me, Paul, that he carries on and then he goes to get into a tussle with Hegarty, one of the most physical players in the country, and he only gets winded or feels the effect of the winding after the hurlers come around and hit off his hurley. Like, to me, there's no way you have two or three more phases of play before he feels a winding that he got previously. No, myself and James talked about this as well just before, uh, b- b- before the show. And we're just saying, when you get winded, you freeze in what you're doing and you stop and you, you go to the ground a little bit or you're, you know, you, the weakness <laughs> comes into your knees. But you freeze where you are literally when you get winded and you're trying to get your breath back. You don't, you don't have the option. It's not a case of like, having the mentality and keep going with the phases or wait till the referee blows a whistle. When you're winded, you're winded. It's like when you pull a muscle, you can't go, oh, listen, right, I'll, I'll, I'll leave this now for another 30, 40 seconds. No, it happens in the moment and that's it. Um, like the one thing, if we, you can disagree about whether you think it was a yellow card or whether he should have been sent off or was careless use of her. Look, people can argue about that. The disappointing thing is you can't argue that he dived. Yeah, you can't. It hit his, uh, Hegarty's hurl hit Fitzgerald's hurl. And Fitzgerald went down holding his stomach. That's he, he sold it. And, you know, he has to take ownership of that as well. Not to say he has to come out and publicly own it. But that's what happened. That's what happened. He he went down. And there was a little bit of it going on in the game. You could see that there was lads, you know, trying to get a bit of a reaction out of fellas. But, you know, Fitzgerald went down. And that's the only thing which is disappointing. You can't disagree on that. There was no reason to hit the deck there. And he did hit the deck. So that's, that's very disappointing from his point of view. There was 15 mm-hmm. minutes to go in the game. You take out one of Limerick's best players by ensuring that they get a second yellow card. In many ways, it's no different to you guys taking a yellow to try and slow play down or you taking a yellow down to make sure that a forward doesn't come in and start cramping around the square when you're trying to take puckouts. Um, the only thing is, there is a way of, of dealing with this. Officials control the yellow entirely the other way. It is there within the rule book that if you go down and feign an injury and that you try and uh, trick the officials in any way, the yellow card could have went that way and the free could have been reversed. That could have been uh, a throw ball and a yellow card is the way that the uh, instant could have worked out there. But look, uh, I, th- I think we're going to end up debating this again and over again and over again and over again. Um, Limerick will be very hopeful, I think, in the appeal, James, that they'll get that second yellow card rescinded because they don't want the accumulation of cards. And John Kiley was quick to point that out too, that you know, quite aside from wanting to protect his player and not wanting the red card on his record, yeah. they want to make sure that later in the year, when disciplinaries come back, they're not looking at an accumulation of yellows and reds, which could potentially lead to a ban uh, later in the season. Um, how, far, wonder- how far away do you, do you reckon we are from... You know, in the NFL, they have the sideline reviews, the video yeah. review, and it's very effective. It's extremely... Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say VAR now. I won't say VAR, but just, just video replay. How far away do you reckon we are from that? 
Well, like you could do it in a few grounds as it is. You know, I was in a press box in Welsh Park yesterday and the coverage of the Sunday game was literally about 20 seconds behind the matches we were watching it. So when we saw a score or whatever, like we were able to just sit back and have a look just to see what happened in the run-in. So that technology unofficially, I think, is there at the moment. Like Hawkeye in every ground though either. So yeah. I think it's it's very possible though for inter-county games to have you know, have some form of coverage where you can analyse it and look at the side. Because at the end of the day, we're affording, like I, I timed how long it took column lines out of interest because there was only three minutes of added time, but it took him two minutes, 13, from the moment that Fitzgerald went down to the moment that Hegarty got the red card, it was two minutes, 13 seconds, but only three minutes were added. So there was two minutes there where as opposed to go and ask two umpires that are 60 yards away and ask the linesman and go back to the umpires and go back to the linesman, Go over to a monitor. There might be something there, but also there mightn't be anything there. For this instant, there was something there. So there's nothing to say that, you know, we have a referee who's already up in the stand, which I'm fairly aware there already is, who doesn't go, Colm, we have it on camera here. Come on over to the sideline and have a look. Um, now, you'd want to cage around that that television because if you have Brian Lowen breathing down your neck and you have John Kiley in these breathing down your neck, mightn't be the safest place. But I think that that technology is there and... I'm all for anything that makes a referee's job easier because they haven't got it. That wasn't easy for column lines to deal with. Um, yeah. And like, why not? Why not use it? Especially like it won't come like in. This. Like it won't, it, it won't be, I'd say people would be afraid to, to bring it in in case it's used on multiple occasions during the game. But like, use it when it's warranted. Like, use it like a TMO in rugby. You know, when there's a huge decision to be made that could potentially influence the outcome. Bring it in. Hmm. Like, I don't think the GA can look at this and go, oh, we can't. Of course you can. It won't cost it costs nothing what will it cost a monitor per game probably the the situations of, of one more person at a game it's, mm. it's simple stuff like I think it has to come in it should be fairly seamless though because mm. referee assessors already sit up in the stand and generally they've got a spot where they are if that was say I don't know what are we going to call it a fifth official as opposed to a fourth official who's sitting up in the stand Video and, they've got, and yeah. they've got a feed yeah. of the game as it's ongoing they could be watching it and then could using you know the headphone system that they already have. Yeah. Uh, I think that was actually the wrong decision, or I've got a better view of it here than you have. And it's not even a case of necessarily having to stop the game. It could be like VAR is currently, where they're watching and reviewing the instance yeah. as the game goes on anyway. Yeah. And definitely Hawkeye should be in every ground. It's one that really sprung to mind, second half, Waterford Cork. And look, we joked earlier about the under-12 goals that there are at Welsh Park, but there was a decision that had to be made when Waterford were trying to get back within three points and there was a shot that was being judged. I think the linesman eventually made the call because Cordish, the TV yeah. cameras kept on going back over to the linesman. He was definitely in contact. You could see him talking to the officials. Mm. So he had to make the call because he had a better view maybe than the umpire on the near side for the shot. Similarly, if you had someone who actually is there in a video position, it doesn't necessarily have to be like Hawkeye, where they have to go draw the square and go to Hawkeye every single time. No. Somebody no. could be in the sand reviewing it, but Hawkeye should definitely be in every ground for championship. And does, oh, that, yeah. have to, does, that, does that have to come through, like with Hawkeye and the video, let's say, call it the video ref, that wouldn't have to come through Congress, would it? I'm not sure. That, that could be just introduced, couldn't it? I, I don't presume. It's not a rule per se, is it? I presume a standing rules committee could make a suggestion, and you'd probably mm. end up voting it through as part of a, a series of package. Because I think Hawkeye did actually go through Congress when it went in initially. Okay. But but I, I found Hawkeye very interesting. On the original incarnation of this pod, when it was called the hurling show and off the ball, we end up having a discussion about this when Brian Hogan. You might remember when Wexford played Tipperary in 2019. He caught the ball over the crossbar and it actually went yeah. up on Hawkeye as a point, mm. but it hadn't gone over. And the reason that we were told was that there's almost like a... It's like not judged upon a sensor or anything like that. It's actually there's a like a virtual line that's drawn between the posts. And as part of that, 
the decision was made that he had actually broken the line by putting his hand back behind the goal as opposed to it being, say, based on video image. So I thought that was very interesting. And a few years ago, they had the problem with the size being wrong, that it was calibrated for a football as opposed to for a slitter. And that actually makes a difference uh, when they were judging if it's hit the post or the other side of the post or whatever else when it's high. So, yeah, I mean, I think that needs to be standardised. I think we've got to a point where every ground in championship should have Hawkeye. And I certainly wouldn't be. We'll let the viewers and listeners um, argue against or for this. I wouldn't be against the idea of having video or an extra official available if it meant that we got the right decisions. Because I genuinely feel if that Garrod Hegarty instant had been referred to video and they had the angle. Remember when RT were showing the second one, which was the one that was almost in front of the instant where it made it very clear that it was a hurl on hurl contact. I think the officials would have went a different way. I, I genuinely think the yellow card was produced because they thought it was a body hit ball. Yeah, absolutely. And you kind of understand it when you see behind the goal. The go- behind the goal view doesn't look great because you don't see where the hurl finishes. And it actually looks like from where the umpires are standing that he probably did hit the, some part of the player anyway, be it his arm, be it his stomach, whatever. So that that angle is hard. And the whole situation is hard for a referee because like, even it, when you spend now a minute and a half on it or two minutes, you're kind of nearly forced to come out with something. You have to come out there. There was something here. What was here? And the safest thing is nearly to do a yellow card in that situation. It was just unfortunate in this situation that the player was already on a yellow. So usually, let's say, if this was early in the game and you gave the yellow, you know, it's a safe one. No one's getting sent off. But at this stage of the game, you were kind of, you know, it was such a tough call to try and decide, first of all, is it a straight red? Is it not a straight red? What was here? Who saw anything? And you're you're relying on everybody who only had one view of it in real time. That's very hard to do. So as as we were saying, I was I was actually in Welsh Park at the time, uh, still watching it and like um, watching it on on my phone. And I was able to look at it loads and loads of times there. Like that technology can be in the ground and is in the ground. You can guarantee that technology was in the ground in Ennis yesterday as the referee was trying to do it. It's just that he wasn't allowed to use it. So I don't see how we can't bring this forward into into games next year. Yeah. Uh, look, again, hopefully that covers off that instance before we talk about the rest of Clarendon because it's a really good game <laughs> of hurling, even though both teams kind of knew uh, how things had changed because of the Cork win beforehand. And like there were Limerick players, I think during the warm up, who were actually walking by the screen where RT were showing the first game and they knew that Waterford were about to be Cork. So even if John Kiley said he wasn't interested in the scoreline before the game started, that would have filtered through the dressing room that already Limerick were going to be in a Munster final. Um, they had the changes before the game and the fact that Aaron Galland didn't play, but still Limerick were able to get a draw against a Clare team who were absolutely flying at the moment. So we've a lot to talk about uh, with what happened on the pitch. Uh, Eames 90 in contact about the Hegarty sending off. With the rolly eyes, I thought it was an absolute nonsense. And again, if I look through all of pretty much the comments that have come in, particularly among the uh, tweets, it's interesting to see that if the media have an agenda or if there's some idea that the media are trying to go in hard on Limerick this year, when I woke up this morning, there were two tweets that were one directly after another. On the one hand, it was, the media have got a Limerick love in and you're far too soft on Limerick. And on the other, it was the talk about Galan last week led to Hegarty being sent off this week. So as the phrase went earlier, damned if you do, damned if you don't. If we talk about these incidents and we give our fair call, none of the three of us have got any um, horse in the race when it comes to Clare playing against uh, Limerick or Limerick against Tipperary last week. We're just calling the incidents the way we see them. And look, some of these Limerick players have put themselves in a position where these are going to be discussed because there have been strokes pulled. And while I'm defending Hegarty on the yellow card... I still think it was foolish that he reacted and brought the hurdle around the way he did. Particularly as, like, let's be fair, James, he knew he was on a yellow card. So yeah. he gave the referees a decision to make here. He did, yeah. And I suppose you want to get it beyond all reasonable doubt. You want to take that away from the referee. Don't give the referee even that, that chance, that option, you know. 
um, because like again, I, we say this now with the greatest respect but no matter how much he likes it or not this is going to follow Gareth Hegarty for the rest of his days you know this this because he does play he does tackle on the edge like he, he gets fouled a lot and he gets he commits the odd foul himself let's say so he's he's on the line there he's tethering on the line of you know going beyond the, the I suppose the line of the rules so it's going to follow him forever just like Gleeson it'll follow him um, and like Paul made a great point there a few minutes ago about doesn't follow TJ doesn't follow, follow Hogg doesn't follow Chin because they've removed themselves from the situation if you're removed from the situation or even the possibility of being in a situation you can't get caught so I, I just think like Gareth got to tailor himself a small bit like you know he's a, he's a brilliant player like every team would love to have him that's the first thing I'd say about him but it's just that when he does pick up others like that he just has to have that that, that moment of calmness and <laughs> tackles and not be using the hurl because now no matter what, what ground he goes to uh, the crowd are going to be on his back unless it's in Limerick obviously because they're going to be baying for blood <laughs> getting one of the best players off the pitch you know so like he's just going to have to learn from it that's it simple as that Paul, this is one you can answer before we talk about the game itself. Slim2089 on Instagram says, Are commentators talking about Limerick and their tackling in a different way to how they used to treat Kilkenny? Now, I remember the great Kilkenny team, let's call them, of the late 2000s. And um, there was an edge about them too. They played the game on the edge most definitely, I think you'd admit. I remember Dahi Regan particularly used to talk about Kilkenny quite a bit and their physicality and the way that they, let's say, pushed what was legal with the way that they went into challenges. Is there a difference about how that Kilkenny team was being talked about and your Kilkenny team compared to the talk about Limerick currently? Because I appreciate there's obviously a lot of talk about Limerick, which is mainly where this point is coming from. Uh, no, I think where where the whole thing is rooted is, look, at when you're champions, you go through a honeymoon fer- period of where lads, you know, for the first year, or if you're lucky enough to stay going, the first year or two, and then eventually people go, we're sick of looking at you, we want to look at someone else, and then they're maybe sick of the aggression that you play with. And, like, the reason you're champions is because you play with an aggression, you play the game right up on the edge, and, and, and you can look at any team, like, ask James about Galway, you know, when they won the Ireland, were they playing aggressively? course they were playing aggressively they weren't trying to walk around teams they were playing aggressively right up the middle and that's what champions do but you go through this honeymoon period where eventually teams kind of get sick of you and I think the difference between the uh, and I'll say this about the Kilkenny team in the late 2000s because I wasn't part of that I was on training panels with that team but the difference between that Kilkenny team and let's say this Limerick team is Limerick are kind of given given the the naysayers the, the red cards now and saying well look sure they're getting red cards and they're causing fa-. and they are doing silly things like you know you look at Garot Higarty getting sent off against uh, against Galway the, the Seamus Flanagan one and all these like every week this year we were nearly talking about a new Limerick red card which doesn't do Limerick any mm-hmm. favours in stopping those but what it also does in reverse is uh, it, it creates a siege mentality in the one place you wouldn't think there'd be a siege mentality in champions you know we talk about the underdogs always having a siege mentality or they're all out to get us the last thing you want is the champions with a siege mentality because they're already driven determined people and now you're te- you're making them feel the world is against you but I do remember that team back in uh, you know people forget very quickly Kilkenny back in the late 2000s you know, like the narrative then was I remember I think it was Gerlach Nan wrote an article that they flick the fingers and they flick the hands and do all these things like ridiculous stuff lads running past each other at you know whatever speed they're doing and that you have the, the time sure if you can flick the hand why not just flick the ball like what are you talking about and then this thing of you know not to talk about last but Kilkenny don't play football sure no, no wonder they're good at 
the wonder they're good at hurling. Like that was the thing. No one's giving out about that now because you're not champions anymore. Now people are looking at Limerick going, well, what can we give out about Limerick for? And unfortunately are on Limerick's back. So like I said very early on in, in this podcast that I think Limerick are coming out of their honeymoon period and lads are going to be on their cases. And they are on it. The, th- the other side of it is Limerick are kind of giving, giving the mob what they want at the same time. They're giving the red cards and going, oh, look, this is what we're... This is this is typical Limerick because the one the one example I will give, and I thought about it yesterday is, in the fourth minute Ryan Taylor went in on uh, Dermot Burns down in the corner. If you want to go back and have a look at it, it's in the fourth minute Limerick are working the ball out of defence. Ryan Taylor goes in with a heap of aggression on on Dermot Burns free out. Ryan Taylor continues after that tackling Dermot Burns tackling Dermot Burns puts the arm around him to push him away. The helmet comes off Taylor and Taylor turns to the referee straight away saying, "Look, my helmet's pulled off." Um, what are you going to do about it? In fairness to Colin Lyons, he said, get out of it, free out, carry on. But, turn the jerseys around. Garrod Hegarty goes running in on, you know, Hayes in a corner back and does that to him. After the free is blown, he continues tackling. We'd be sitting here today talking about that tackle, but we're not. Unfortunately, when you're the champions, you kind of have to go, you have to deal with this baggage and you have to deal with this. And it's something as well, as much as you have to deal with keeping that hunger, keeping, you know, the head cool and all these things, you also have to deal with that tag of, Usher, oh, sure, no, no wonder they're winning. They don't play the game fair like the rest of us, basically. And that's not to be too straight up the middle about it, but there is always an element of that with champions. Well, the most mm-hmm. telling one of this, I think, is that JP's money has come up over the last year or so when it was no issue whatsoever when Limerick first made the breakthrough. It was almost like, it's fantastic that JP McManus is mm. funding the next generation of sports people in Limerick and he's got all these initiatives within the city and it's fantastic to see that Limerick have been able to prosper and turn some of those interesting uh, minor and under-21 players from the mid-last decade into winners now at this stage. And it was a bit, as you say, a complete honeymoon. Limerick were a new team coming in, hadn't won since the 70s. It was a great story. They had all the pain in uh, All-Ireland finals since then. And now they win a few in a row and Skehel looks so disappointed when he thinks back to 2018. And then now you see people giving out about JP's money. And then the funny part was JP McManus was on the pitch at the weekend when Limerick's footballers got to the Munster final. So he's not just there for the glory of hurling as well. And first time, 1934, did a quick check on Saturday. They're going to contest both Munster finals over a few weeks in early June, which is a, a hell of an achievement for Limerick to get to the final in both codes this year. And uh, The Limerick footballers getting ready to play in Division 2 of the Football League next season. Uh, they're very much on the march as well. Um, I'm going to let you respond to this one, James, because it sets up the game in many ways because Tony Kelly was remarkable. He was back in pure Superman mode yesterday putting over freeze from all over the place when the game went into chaos he was popping balls over the bar there's a 16 points he ends up with in the game and Francis Canlon in contact has spelt Scale's name wrong you will see on the screenshot but we'll give him the chance to respond <laughs> anyway is Tony <laughs> Kelly in Scale's top 15 hurlers in the country now this brings where, us back to a conversation hey, about six weeks ago <laughs> where, did this, where, where did this 15 come out of he wasn't yeah. in the top 5 well look it wasn't quite 15 I think what happened was oh, yeah, he gave was, a top 5 was, right yeah. And I coaxed you to go up to about a 10. Yeah. And I don't think Tony Kelly was in the 10. So the 15 yeah. is unfair. Josh, I have my notebook here beside me now. Right, go on, you get the notebook. And, and I'm going back to my list. Well, first of all, Scott, is he, is he in your fantasy hurling team? That's the first question. He is, yeah. And he's well, captain. Okay. <laughs> so, so I'm all right. Oh, he's not captain. I left Binner's captain. Shite. Oh, so does so do <laughs> so, so, oh, As he gets his notes, right, he's going to check him now. I yeah. made a massive mistake in uh, fantasy hurling this week where... I thought that the because the deadline was one o'clock on the previous window a couple of weeks ago 
I thought I'd loads of time. Was in the office uh, in work on Saturday afternoon. I went, I'll get my 12 o'clock bulletin on Today FM done. I'll come back down and I'm going to put some serious thought into this because it's a two-week period. I want to make sure I've got the right captain and I want to make sure that I've got a chance to put three players in <laughs> from some of the counties who are going to be competing over the next two weeks. Happy days, come back down, window closed at about two minutes past 12. So yeah, I was stuck with Bennett who did very little scoring as my captain. And if I'd had any of the other high-scoring players on my team, I would have probably done quite well. Aaron Galan in the end is a late withdrawal for the Limerick team and then everything just went to absolute That was pop. a killer. It was. That was and, a killer. And Kilkenny made late change as well. I was like, I was delighted when I saw Killian Buckley starting for Kilkenny. Great. And Kilkenny are going to run up a bit of a score here. Maybe even Killian might get a few scores himself. Again, late change. Killian Buckley comes out of the team. I was like, yeah, this is done. I, I almost gave up on fancy early when it happened. I'm going to try and be less disappointed when the next window comes around and try and salvage it. But this week has done untold damage. You were saying, Paul, I think you got about 120 points over me this week. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. I, I, I like. I didn't start well now and so I'm getting the rub of the green at the moment but uh, yeah I just had a few lads and I was delighted seeing over the weekend there was a few boys that I've seen in reports that they were getting savage points and I was going this is absolutely brilliant I'm fairly sure and then the killing thing is sometimes when you go into it you realise you've actually taken that player out of your team so uh, no I got the break this week that's all it is so I'm slowly redeeming myself here right, right. Look. go on uh, yeah. where uh, was TK on the list then or was he on the list he was he was sent Oh, that's all right then. Right, so look, look, he's in the top five now, right? I might put him in the top. <laughs> I know, listen, look, it's all, it's all, like, he, he was, he was unreal yesterday. And like even, you know, the long range trees he was hitting like from, from ridiculous distances, you just knew he's on it. Like when, he, when he's on it, oh, he's, he's terribly hard to stop. Like you just have to put someone, man mark at him because he's popping up in all different areas of the pitch. Like, like he, he gathered the ball in his own centre back position, took off running over the bear in the corner four position he got a, a, a pint so when he's in that kind of reign of form and he has the license to go where he wants like a license to kill so you'd have to put somebody on him and like we, we, when we're playing clear let's say we'd always say right Johnny Cohen you take 20 Kelly because the first thing you probably have with him is you have to keep up with him <laughs> so he's extremely fast right extremely fit so you have to just like it's horses for courses in that instance so you have to put someone on him who can first of all stay with him leg for leg and if you don't have that you're in a, you're in a touch of bother but he just uh, he was excellent and, like you, you love watching players when that in that kind of form stuff going over the bar left right and centre and the Clare crowd loved love him and he was really embracing the challenge a packed Innes I can't remember the last time Innes was as packed as much to be honest um and like he produced one of the uh, probably I, I would say one of the all-time greatest plays in us so fair, fair juice to him right he's going up the list I think he probably has to be in the top two based on what we've seen so far ice class yeah, yeah like I, I have Lynch as number one I say but in like in current standing like he's up he's he probably is number one to be honest you know in, in terms of what how good he is um, just because like Lynch isn't hurling like I'm not saying Lynch is he's dropping off but just your stock was going down a bit my friend <laughs> <laughs> but like again can I make one point about Limerick like, and I know everyone will, will point will point it was a very evenly matched game like the turnovers was the same the, the shots was the same you know possession was relatively the same but like I just can't come away from the fact that Limerick didn't have Lynch Casey Galan you know they, they didn't have them they weren't on the pitch like so these are three savage players to come back so I'm I think is the Munster final in two weeks or three weeks it's the first weekend in June I think Okay, so so you, you would you would imagine I don't know what case situation, but you'd imagine Galen and probably Lynch could be back potentially, like different animal, bigger pitch. You know what I mean? So it's just but like that doesn't take away from Clare's performance. They they were tremendous, like and and they've probably elevated themselves now into a genuine number two now on the list nationally in terms of they they put the best challenge to Limerick. You know they they almost snuck snuck a win over them, so they're a full value for their their draw. They didn't win the game. The true, let's say, against the Limerick team, missing three huge players and a man down. So that says a lot about Clare, obviously, but it says an awful lot about Limerick too.
Yeah, look, that's the thing, Paul. I mean, I think if you're coming at this from Claire's perspective, job done firstly. It's the point which ensures that they're going to the Munster final and there's no pressure on them now. They play against Waterford in the last round and let's see what kind of team they put out, whether maybe this is a chance to take Waterford out of the championship. And you know, maybe that's something that actually Brian Lone and the rest of their team would actually relish, that you don't want to leave a Waterford team in it who've shown what they can do earlier this year and you can ensure that they're 100% not going to go through by winning that game in Ennis this weekend. A lot of people said early on that the draw worked out quite nicely for Clare, that they had two home games to finish and they were going to get Cork in Semple Stadium. So maybe some of the dominoes fell in place. What we did see, and we already credit Cork for it earlier, was tremendous intensity from Clare again yesterday. Like, I don't mind who Limerick didn't have. Like, Keane Lynch wasn't there, Galan wasn't starting. Nothing Clare can do with that. But what Clare could do was hunt in packs. They could get turnovers. They could create problems for Limerick. They could force Limerick into difficult situations during the game. And for me, the takeaway from the game was Clare backed up those first two performances we saw against a team who were a level above the first two teams they played. Yeah, yeah. And, and Clare, like, they're really stringing together performances here that give them full value in terms of being recognised as contenders at the moment. Because when I look back at comparisons and we're automatically going to look back at 2013 and the, the Clare team that won the All-Ireland then. And the one thing that I think about Clare from 2013, it's, it's momentum. They, they weren't reckoned in that year to win the All-Ireland. Like, you know, they obviously had this core group of players that came through from underage, but they, I remember the match that started it all for Clare back in 2013, if I'm right in saying it, it was they played Wexford down in Turles. I remember it was an absolutely roasting hot day because it was one of these days where they were trying to stop players from taking water on the pitch. It was during that silly season of where you couldn't bring water on or something like this, but... There was that whole debacle going on, but, but Clare put in a savage performance that day because I don't think they were even really fancy to beat Wexford that day, but they put in a great performance. Podge Collins kind of burst onto the scene. Lads started making their name and the momentum kicked off then. They kept momentum up for that year and kept it going, kept it going. They kept the attitude right. They kept putting together these good performances and suddenly found themselves in an All-Ireland, got a replay and won the All-Ireland. And at the moment, like we're talking about what do Clare do when they're going out against Waterford? I don't think Brian Lowen can afford to take the sting out of this at the moment because we look at other teams you know look back at Watford Watford are in a bit of a place at the moment now where they're trying to get it going again because they took the sting out of it so now you have to get it going there's very few teams that can turn it on and off Limerick probably the only team at the moment that can turn it on and off at the moment Brian Lowen has his team performing and they're a relatively young team in fairness as well like Barrett John Conlon and this they're a relatively young team and they're full of energy and full of legs and full of aggression. So I'd be going with Brian Lowen. I'd be saying, like, you know, let's keep this show on the road. Let's not try and take the foot off the gas, bring it down this week, and then try and bring it back up again for Limerick a few weeks later. Like, they're, they're after taking scalps now. And whether, like, drawing with Limerick is a scalp at the moment for them because they've now stepped up, went toe-to-toe -to -toe -to -toe and matched Limerick. They're going to look to go one better. And maybe a draw overall wasn't a bad result in this because if they bet them well now maybe they're going into a Munster final with the weight of can you go and do it again nobody's going to be talking about that coming into a Munster final they're just going to be saying mm. Jesus I hope we get the same thing out of Clare going into this so Brian Lowen I think can't afford to take the foot off the gas here I think he is to go listen lads another scalp is going to happen now against Waterford they're coming up to Ennis this is a fortress we're going to knock Waterford out of the championship and that's a scalp. That's a scalp for Brian Lowen's men because it's another step along the way of them taking that step towards Crow Park or Munster Final or whatever. 
So I think at the moment, this idea that Brian Long can say, do you know what, we'll take a step back. No, Tony Kelly scoring 16 points a game. Get Tony Kelly back out on the pitch and get him scoring 16, 17 points a game. Get Hayes a corner back absolutely lording it and driving lads out. Have lads, have all your players out there. No, if you have an injury, it is the chance to maybe say, right, I'm taking you out and say, we have a strong panel here, lads. Another player is going to step in. This is how we're going to operate. But Claire can't afford to take the foot off the gas now because it's too quick of a turnaround into a Munster final to go... You know, you could knock the confidence by Watford beating you up in Ennis, you know. And granted, you're still in the Munster final, but you you kind of now are a little bit jaded after the whole situation of losing in Ennis now. So keep the foot on the gas, beat Watford. Um, that's not to say they're going to beat him, but go and try and beat him with your strongest team and go for a Munster final then. So I don't think this this idea that lads go, oh, maybe hold themselves for a Munster final, I don't think that's the best preparation for, for, for Clare. No, and just to confirm as well, the final is on Sunday the 5th of June. So this is the year where the Saturday finals are both the Joe McDonough and the Leinster finals, a doubleheader at Crow Park, half four, seven o'clock on Saturday the 4th. And then Sunday the 5th will be the Munster final venue still to be confirmed. Um, if I was a betting man, I would say probably Semple Stadium would make sense. I think Porky mm. Cueve is just about back into commission at that point. I saw some uh, photos of Porky Cueve uh, where the grass took a lot of damage from... Uh, Ed Sheeran's concert so I think it's going to take a while for them to come back the estimate was three weeks after the concert so yeah I suppose they probably have about 10 days two weeks for the pitch to be in condition maybe Semple just makes more sense and also is a, a, probably a closer venue to both counties Semple is the right venue uh, for that Munster final on the 5th um, Limerick takeaways from this then James the fact that they get a draw despite the fact that Hergerty's off the pitch for almost 20 minutes I think it was 15 minutes to go and then injury time when he goes off the pitch uh, Galan's not there so you're without the best full forward in the country they're without the best player in the country in Keane Lynch they were down players against Waterford still found solutions in that do we give Limerick credit for not taking a defeat here too? Yeah I know in fairness they have to because I, I know everyone would look at look at Clare and give them the majority of the of the plaudits and that's fair because to back to Paul's previous point Limerick are champions so there's an expectancy on them to produce every day I and mean, when Clare put up to them and you know obviously get, get a draw of it you know it's probably the best performance put up against Limerick in a long time probably going back to even Paul's time let's say when, when, when they bet them in the semi-final so huge credit to Clare however Limerick deserve massive credit like there's, there's, there's an awful lot of things being put in front of them now I, I, I'm not sure what the situation is around Glenn. He's, I presume I can only presume he's injured um, I haven't heard what part of him is injured the talk so, was he has, a, has a knock James and that's why they weren't risking him so if fair, it's a knock fair. he's probably back for the Monster final so, so if, to lose as, you, as you've mentioned the players that you've lost and, and, and to go to a ground as, as intense as Innes with a crowd as, as vocal as, as the people in Innes like you know they, they deserve great credit so they, and they came through like you know, I, I can't say obviously they didn't win the game don't get me wrong but they came through every test that was posed to them yesterday and that no matter what you can say they must. They have to draw even another level of confidence from it going forward when they get clear in. Look, I've mentioned this numerous times. A bigger field, more space, and some of their better personnel back. Because, like, the best way to improve a team fast is personnel. Do you know that's how you improve. So when you get back the likes of Lynch and get back Glenn and then people like it's just going to make an awful difference to your team and get things rolling. Especially as they've they managed to keep the ship sailing in, in a positive direction while losing them players and get some game time into players that I hadn't heard of before, you know, which is which is a credit to them too. So I know Kylie, he put the focus on Garrett's red card, which will probably be rescinded, uh, overturned, but he probably will go home like knowing that they, they didn't fire in all cylinders, but still has some great performances all around. And like notably, I have to mention Jimmy Burns again. He's back front runner again for me for her of the year. I know you'd say Tony Kelly is a front runner of the year, but Jimmy Burns front runner back again. So fair juice to him. 
Well, look, here's the thing, Paul. It's similar enough. If we're going to give Tony Kelly credit for everything he did and the way that he led his team forward and the way that he hurled. And sometimes I watch Tony Kelly like yesterday. He almost feels like that really good underage player when you're playing under 16 or under 14 and he wants to hit everything and he wants to be involved in every piece of play. And everything he does, he seems to do remarkably well. In this case with Dermot Burns, I mean, he has to step up the field and take the freeze a little bit closer because Galan's not there to take them. But he was just clinical. I think it was nine shots out of 11 uh, went over the bar and he yeah. put one over from play when he stepped up too. So it's, it's amazing to think you'd have a wing back who's providing that type of contribution on the scoring end. Nine points. Yeah, it's, it's, it's incredible going. Like, and even the point he took, like, you know, it was just such a, it was a savage point, a, a big lift as well for Limerick, you know, when he got it because it was just this kind of... Uh, this attitude of I'm taking the ball, I'm taking charge here, I'm going up the middle and I'm putting the ball over the bar. And even, you know, the, the, the point to draw it from the free at the end, like, I mean, you could see the crowd, like we saw Kyle Hayes hit one wide from under 45 in front of the goal. I have no doubt the, the clear crowd behind the goal played a factor in that. Um, we saw Will O'Donoghue as well hit one wide from the centre of the pitch. Like, the atmosphere feeds into you taking a shot and a little panic, the goal looks a bit smaller, the crowd behind the goal are putting you off. That free at the end wasn't simple at all. But you always felt with Dermot Burns he was going to put it over, which is the biggest compliment I can pay to him. And it's gone to the stage, which is a kind of ridiculous statement as well, that when Dermot Burns hits it wide, the opposition crowd actually kind of let this ironic cheer out of him, like, you know, as if to sneer him. That You only ever get that from a forward. You don't get that from a back. So I think that shows where Dermot Burns is held in the country at this stage in terms of his shooting ability. Like, coming in with that sort of... And, and as well, being able to kind of hold back Galan and say oh yeah we have another free taker here that will absolutely step up and knock them over all day that's incredible but the distance again I mentioned it before it's like Shawnee McMahon with Clare back in the 90s he stands over from such a distance and you just think this is going to go over and I'm going to love every minute of this enormous strike on the ball he probably has another 20, 30, 40 yards on the ball as well it's just he is in great form barrel okay against Tip you know middle of the road match by his own standards again which is another compliment to him but uh, it's brilliant to have a wing back being so influential in the game going forward but what about what about this like do you remember like he's open play people don't give him obviously the freeze they take you know the, that's the limelight that's that's the show reel it says. That's, that's what people are focusing on but do you remember Tony Kelly running down the sideline yesterday and who, mm. who, who, who hooked him yeah, like yeah first of all him, exactly yeah. to, catch him, to catch yeah. Tony Kelly first yeah. of all but close down and hook him like that's yeah. He's, he's like, his defensive displays are ex- he's excellent in the air he's excellent on the ground let's say. he's tough as a bag of nails and he gives you what he gives you what he gives you on the freeze like. so that's why I'm putting him as front runner now back in again so I could change my mind in a couple of weeks but Tipperary <laughs> was a slight blot in the copybook where yeah. uh, they got around him and they created issues for him and they created overloads down on his side too so it wasn't entirely down to Timber. Uh, he was out the night before I think yeah <laughs> must, have, must have been something eh um, Sorry, I'm not allowed to mention Limerick has been out. I was just about to say, before, before you get anyone into trouble here, that was kind of amazingly after the story came out in the Independent uh, at the end of last weekend. So it would have been, was it Monday night that we were all kind of discussing, what's this very vague Limerick statement about? And then the Independent had the story very soon afterwards. So I'm guessing those who are doing the PR for Limerick yeah. GA felt they wanted to get ahead of the story and actually have it out. But... It feels like it's parked. I mean, John Kiley called it old news, Paul, after the game. He said, look, we've moved on from it. Uh, we won't talk about the internal disciplinary matters that we might be looking after here. Uh, he's been dropped from the panel for today. Let's see what happens further down the road. In a way, it didn't become a circus where it had the possibility to become one when mm-hmm. everyone was quote-tweeting that Limerick statement on Monday night. Yeah, um, it, it did have potential and it had potential to be distracting. I think the... 
the fact that they had a match, a few things fed into it. Obviously, Limerick brought out the statement, which was smart out of Limerick. Bring out a statement that's been dealt with, we're moving on. Even though they knew some of the finer details were going to be out there in the media and get out. And it could be distracting to the team. Um, probably as well, you know, look, not saying it's fortuitous, but a player who was on the peripheries a little bit more Limerick. Again, it wasn't one of your, one of your marquee players, which doesn't take away. You're allowed, I suppose keep this player this player was usually on the bench when the game start anyway so it doesn't look like a big dramatic thing that this player is now not starting so you're able to carry on you had a match within seven days and now here we are talking about red cards and yellow cards and was it a free and the extra time the added time and all these different things no one's talking about it now anymore so it was well handled and the fact that a match came up very quick soon afterwards and it was <laughs> the match was what it was that's that's helped distract from it as well also yeah, and it'll probably die down a little bit now because Limerick have the week off this week and they can wait till June the 5th and put all the focus into being in the right place for that Clare game. I think there's more improvement to come from Clare when the Munster final comes round. We'll see how they get on in their last game in the group stage this weekend. So we can look at these two games in Munster. I got the GA fixtures just a few minutes ago before we uh, sat down to record the pod. So both games on uh, Sunday are going to be shown on RT. I don't have a breakdown of which on RT 1 and 2 just now, but RT have confirmed uh, that they're showing both games. It's a feast to hurling because you've got the under 20 All-Ireland final between Kilkenny and Limerick which is at half past one and that's on TG Carter and then get your cup of tea and your orange and sit down after that and watch the two games in the Munster Championship so we've got Clare against Waterford and Tipperary against Cork both games at 4pm and who would have thought James that we'd be in a situation after the first two rounds of games that Cork pretty much have everything in their own hands going into the last round It's amazing though isn't it like it's amazing I have to be honest like it's probably one of the last thoughts that would have come to my head last week um, on the back of all the evidence and that's what we're using it's just evidence of what Cork have given us over the last you know, month or so and for them to turn it around which they did turn it around and give themselves a fighting chance is commendable but also is, uh, is, is, is in need of a backup performance so it's great gesture there's huge passion look at Kieran Kingston and the way he you know, he shook hands with Dara Fitzgibbon nearly hit him a thump on the head as in pure aggression well done kind of job and great to get a result but now they'd have to back it up and that's probably been you know the Cork's kryptonite over the last number of years is can they put two big performances back to back so the challenge is set for them it's in their own hands so they, they can they can attribute blame to nobody else only themselves if they, don't, if they don't come through well James I'm going to give you a first shout what do we expect from Tipperary against this Cork team then because look Tipperary are very much the outsiders of the teams to qualify because they're going to have to run up a big scoreline they're yeah. going to have to hope that Clare get a result against Waterford so for them they need all the various bits and pieces in the jigsaw to fall into place well, yeah. Tipperary have to go out and try and run a score on Cork. That's the long and the short of it. So they still have, you know, plenty of incentive to go out there and try and win this game. How do you see it going? Um, well, first is it's Tip's last home game of the year. You'd assume. So you'd assume it is like so. That's that's the kind of the I won't say that's their mindset, obviously, but you'd hope that for, for their own sake they'd get a big support because I can imagine Cork, like on the back of yesterday's performance, and now that there's, there's life in the beginning, they might get a big support to Tip. You know, old rivalries renewed, etc. But. How do I see the game going? Very, very hard to call. It's just, it's so hard to know. We'll, like, after the five minutes, I'll tell you. <laughs> but right now, it's very difficult because Cork could come and produce what they produced yesterday or they could come and produce what they produced, you know, a month ago. It's just so hard to know them. So there's no evidence to suggest to me that they're going to, you know, produce a string of performances and come with the exact same mentality as yesterday. You'd hope they do. Obviously, you hope they do. And if they do, you know, they'll trouble Tip very badly. They, they will trouble them. But like that, if Tip come with the same aggression that came against Limerick, you're in for a big battle. That's, that's all we're hoping as neutrals. We want to see two teams go at it, go at it 100% so there can be no fault attributed to lack of effort or lack of honesty and then see where it takes you. That's what you got yesterday in clear. 
two teams going 100% for it and let, let, may the best man win or the best team we best team win should I say and then see where it takes you so that's all I'm hoping for a big battle uh, calling it she's extremely difficult like right now I'm on, I'm on I'm shaking your advice and going for the draw you know because like I can't tell do you know what I mean so uh, and if I call Chip I'll have Cork people tweeting me again if I call Cork Chip people will be at me so I want a quite week this week now so just <laughs> I'm going to go for the draw right splinters on his backside sitting on the fence after that answer but uh, if Cork and Tipperary draw then right back into Waterford's hands if Waterford can get a result away from home against there that's the excitement of being able to flick between uh, the two matches on this Sunday uh, we didn't necessarily think that the fixtures were going to fall this way and that uh, both would have something on the line but at least we've got all that excitement going into uh, Sunday I just want to pull up a DM that we got to ask a question about Temple Stadium so I'll ask you Paul firstly how you see Tip and Cork going and I'll get ready with this point and Central Stadium in a second. Yeah, look, again, very tough one to call. I think, again, James highlighted it there. Cork's big uh, question is back-to-back performances. They put in a great performance, everything's brilliant, and then it's the follow-up performance that unhinges the whole thing again. I think, you know, Tip playing well against Limerick is doing Cork a big favour. There's no reason... Like, if Tip didn't perform against Limerick, there's a danger of Cork going into this match thinking... If we perform half as good as we did against Watford, we'll beat this Tipperary team. But because Tipperary hurled so well against Limerick, Cork are well warned now. And I actually think Tipperary, whoever they pulled that performance for against Limerick, you know, they're playing in Turles now on the weekend. Tipperary, I think, would be only too happy to upset the apple cart here. You know, that's the type of team that Tipperary will be like. They'll come in and go, you know what, we might need 101 things to go our way, but let's at least put our best foot forward and the things we control will go about it. It's a very hard one to call. It it really is. Um, part of me is, is, is inclined to lean towards tip. And the reason I say it is more so because... Like Kenny man. How, oh, how, well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh. Well, I, do, I, I, don't, I don't care for tip or cork, so I just want to keep on <laughs> no, but, what, but the reason I'm saying it is because the results have gone so mad over the last while, it almost seems more believable that Tipperary will now come along and somehow get the results to go in their favour. Um, but at least that they'll put their foot forward and go do you know what we're playing Cork in Turles let's hit them um, if Cork come I'll put it this way if Cork come with the attitude that they brought to Welsh Park I think man for man they can they will beat Tipperary and blow them out of water I also expect to see a few changes in that yes Patrick Horgan will start but you know Shane Barrett wasn't on a huge amount of ball um, against Watford he's taken off after 30 minutes I think it was and Shane Kingston came on I think there's an opening there where either Kingston or Tim O'Mahony will actually start in at full in full forward line for for Cork because Is the surprise factor gone with Tim O'Mahony now though like you can pull that trick once and mm. put him in when people would have expected he's defensive cover on the bench and he's injured and next thing he goes up into a very different position is it a different story if he comes in to start like the element of surprise mm. is gone if he's on the starting 15 well, I think part of it was the element of surprise, but part of it was just the way that he played the game, that you have a fellow up there that's now going to anchor the ball. And I think that's what they're going to look for. Okay, we haven't the surprise anymore, but we're putting him up there to win the ball and make it stick in that forward line and recycle it. You're going to be a fellow that's going to win the ball and have the runners off the shoulder. So I just think there's potential there where, you know, Kieran Kingston will now go, well, I can bring in Shane Kingston here, who got two points when he came on, set up a goal. Or I can bring in Tim O'Mahony. But something here worked. And one of the things worked. So I think there's potential there. That might happen. If Cork click, I think Cork win it. But there's something to me in the back of my head saying Tipperary aren't necessarily going to go at the script here. And they're going to throw everything at it. And that's where it is. James could be right. A draw could be the right call to go at here. But maybe I'll lean a little bit towards 
Tipperary here that there might be just one left, one kick in the dog, and they're just out to ruin everyone's weekend. And maybe that's what they're going to try and do. Yeah, the Premier will always go down swinging. Now, a Tipperary fan who was in contact by DM, Chris Horn, was in contact. Hi, Will and Co. Question for the Hurling Pod this week. Do you think Thurless is the least advantageous home ground in the Hurling Championship? It's very hard to fill in round robin and create a hostile atmosphere to visiting teams compared to grounds like Ennis, Nolan Park, Welsh Park, Parnell Park, etc., especially with Tipperary going poorly this year. Thurless is very central for other Munster counties to travel and support their teams, and all the players in the Munster Championship and also the likes of Galway and Kilkenny will be familiar with playing underage games there, club games there, even schools games during the years in their development. Love to hear the thoughts of the lads. So Semple Stadium then, because it's the home of hurling and because it's used for so many different competitions, does it maybe actually take away from the home advantage that Tipperary would have compared to some counties who can bring you to a smaller ground, pack it out and maybe becomes a bit more unfamiliar? Paul, what do you reckon? Yeah, um, I do think, like, again, any team, if you play in a ground enough, like, you do get used to it and, and you do, like, if you, you might string together a few games where you've actually hurled really well, so you maybe like the ground. Like, Port Leash for, for Kilkenny would certainly be one of those. Like, we've often played, you know, Dublin up there and generally that was the ground where we'd go and play a Dublin and Leinster Championship semi-final or whatever it might be. So, Turles is very similar like that in that Turles isn't necessarily a fortress because it's kind of seen more as a... As a as a monster pitch, um, so I certainly think that, and it's a hard one to fill. It is a hard one to fill. Like I was in Welsh Park yesterday, there was eleven thousand people. I think just shy of eleven thousand, and the atmosphere was absolutely brilliant at it. Like it was electric, and the the crowd were feeding in on the on the players on the pitch because it was so tight. Now you switched that match to to Thurles, and you weren't probably going to get more than eleven thousand at that game yesterday if it wasn't Thurles anyway, and it was going to be dead. There was going to be nothing at it. So the smaller grounds. You know, does create an atmosphere, does create a good match day. Thurless, unless it's a really big match and you draw a really big crowd, you know, it, it does. It won't necessarily be daunting because, like it, like you said, a lot of players play there through colleges, through underage, um, and even Kilkenny. We've played there a lot over the years, be it through league matches or whatever it is. Played, we played Galway in the Leinster final there because I'm sure I think there must have been a concert or something up in Crow Park that 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 evening, but. So we've all played there, you know, we've all played there quite regularly and I would agree that if there is an element of it losing its fortress type home ground um, status, Thurless will be one of those, you know, I don't think teams really are overly afraid because they play there so often. What do you reckon, James? Well, I agree with him, like even as a guy man, like I, I'd have no issue going down to Thurless playing tip there to be honest, um, because it's a, it's, a, it's a pitch I would have frequented a lot as 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 the listener pointed out in my younger days from growing up whether it be minor you know colleges etc so it's I, I would always view Thurless as a centralised pitch like like what Paul was saying in the same vein as I'd view Crow Park that it's kind of you know it's the GA's pitch as opposed to Tipperary's but so in terms of like, it's a good question I, I never would have thought about it to be honest unless the question was raised to me um, but from a round robin perspective when you see the intensity that Clare are able to generate yesterday from the, from their own crowd tight pitch and packed house it's difficult for Tipperary to replicate that Um Especially Thurles when it's got a vast uh, you know, size of attendance. But again, Tipperary hasn't been full, haven't had Thurles full in a while. Like, you have to go back to one of the Cork Munster Championship games, go back a couple of years ago. Like, and it probably doesn't lend itself to help, you know, it doesn't lend itself to, to uh, creating an advantage for, 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 uh, for Tip in any way, shape, or form. And like, I'd, I'd often say the same thing sometimes about Pierce Stadium as well, even from a Galway perspective. Mm. Like, it's a tough place to fill. Uh, 
you know, and it doesn't lend an awful advantage to go away either because the conditions sometimes take over. So I get what, what the, the listener is saying and um, like you'd have no fear. So anyone who's playing tip there in future, like it's a centralised ground as far as I'm concerned. So it's uh, tricky to make an advantage out of it. Yeah, it's a bit different to Ennis. I was even looking at some of the videos that people had up who were in early and it felt like Ennis was full quite early before the game against Limerick yesterday. And so there's a raucous atmosphere yeah. and the PA is banging out the music before the game. Everyone's getting excited. The news is filtering through about the Waterford against Cork result, uh, which put Clare in a very good position to qualify for the Munster final. The All-Ireland champions are in town and you're able to kind of take full advantage of having a home game there. And similarly, I would imagine Clare supporters will want to get out with the great run that they're on and do the exact same against Waterford this weekend. Even though Clare have qualified, they'll want to send their team off to a Munster final with the victory. So I'll ask you to call these two ones. Uh, Paul, I got the feeling you were thinking earlier in our conversation that Clare will go all out against Waterford. How do you see the game going, though? Um, I think particularly the ground here does does play a big role in it. Um, Clare do play even a step above what they normally play when they're playing in Ennis. They, they really do feed off it. And I just think where Clare are at at the moment, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Watford won, but you have to give, you know, the scales are tipping towards Clare at the moment. And because it's a quick turnaround, you know, they're nearly having time to think. You're doing recovery you're, and the team is nearly named for the following match. So all those good thoughts are in your head. You know, you're still in that good place. You're still in that kind of flow sort of mode that you were out and you were beating Limerick or you were about nearly bet Limerick last week. Well, now we're going out playing Watford. Another home game. You're not on the road. You know, it's good times. It's good times in Malone players. So I think they're going to keep that going. And at the moment, we, we don't know where Watford are at at the moment. We don't know them this morning. Liam Cal has a big job to turn these lads around and really get them up. And it's, it's going to be a big thing now to lift this Watford team and go up and get a scalp in Ennis because the All-Ireland champions couldn't do it. So it's going to be just as vicious the weekend because the, Limer- or the, the Clare crowd are going to want this to keep going. They're loving it down below in Ennis. So it's going to be tough now for that Watford crowd to get down to Ennis and make the Clare players and the Clare crowd feel like that they're up against it because I don't think for one minute of that match the Clare players are going to feel up against it playing Watford. So for me at the moment, I I have to say Clare, and I think Clare potentially by maybe by about five or six points, maybe. Hmm. James, can I ask you about a different uh, monster issue from last weekend? Because during the week, actually, I should say during the week, uh, we had an unbelievably good Munster minor hurling final. It was brilliant. Um, Claire and Tipperary went toe-to-toe. Extra time was full of energy, full of chances, you know, late freeze, uh, question marks over the amount of time that's played at the end, and eventually goes to penalties. And there was a long delay before the penalties took place, and there was a bit of a debate. Um, my feeling was penalties are more than fair enough in this because Clare are out to play against Galway this coming weekend they're going to Athen Rye on Saturday so this championship has to be played out and there's a round robin because Galway don't play in a provincial championship and the nature of the beast is whoever loses between Leash and Offaly in the Leinster minor hurling final which is on tonight because we're recording on Monday I get ready to go to the game once this pod finishes they're going to have to go into the round robin too so there's not room in the window for a replay that's the first thing Mm -hmm. do you feel for young lads at under 17 having to take penalties though I mean it's difficult to do it particularly you're on the TV and three of them were missed during the shootout too and you know Fergal Horgan's young lad for Tipperary makes himself a hero saving two and uh, scoring one during the shootout but difficult for 17 and in this case in many cases 16 year old lads who are stepping up to take penalties on the telly in the Gaelic rounds during the week Yeah I, I personally don't agree with penalties deciding the games I know it's lovely in soccer and everything but in the GEA we have to make room somehow either it be more extra time or a replay we have to do something you know, I, I think if you give the opportunity to, to James Woodlock, for example, that at the time 
I'll give you a replay next week or in three days' time, four days' time. I'd, I'd say they'd probably take it, and so would the Clare management. I'd say they would, but penalties is slightly unfair. And look, Clare have been, I won't say wronged, but they were, you know, they were very, very, uh, it was it was harsh enough the calls that was made against their goalkeepers now. So again, to lose in the manner that they did, when you think at the 21 grade as well, I think back to Donald too, he poke out, remember he's a judge to have, you know, gone outside the square. That's all like a similar instance whereby you're putting the rule book to the letter of the law. That's you know, it's it's a very difficult one, and you'd, you'd feel for them to be honest. Where do you stand on this, Paul? Because I'll put my hands up and say I'm okay with penalties because before the championship started, penalties were going to be the way that would determine games uh, that end up in draws once we get into the knockout stage mm-hmm. of the competition. As a result, teams are probably taking penalties as the last thing they do with training. Uh, James Woodlock, the Tipperary manager, said after the game on TG Carr, they've been practising them. He played them a club uh, for his club last year, so he's familiar with the idea of taking them. Uh, do you think it's unfair uh, maybe to have it senior but don't have it underage? Or what's your feeling on it? Yeah, it's like I, th- I think the one thing here is that people are just saying is that it's unfair in 17-year-olds. You know, It is a fair bit of pressure to step up and take a penalty. Um but the one thing I was saying, I saw a lot of people, and you know, a lot of people with really good opinions, the likes of Anthony Daly, and he's saying that he didn't, he he thinks it shouldn't happen, and I understand someone saying that, but part of me, I suppose, being very pragmatic about it, I was just saying we have to finish these games at some stage because these young men have a lot going on in terms of, and maybe that's not me. We should ask their opinion of it. Really, I think is is the one fair thing to do. Ask their opinion because we mightn't be right. But they have, you know, colleges hurling. They're back to under 17 now. So they have colleges hurling. They have all these different things going on. Do they need another match? I mean, these lads went out and played like a brilliant game, an absolutely brilliant game, and then went and played extra time. You know, grand, they're young and they're fit and they're all this. But to go and ask them to throw themselves on the line, for I would have loved to see it, absolutely. But we have to finish these matches at some stage. And sometimes I think of the extremes in this. Like if you think back to the, the Tipperary Limerick games where we had that we have two replays back in the 2000s where the teams just could not be separated. And in fairness to this player Tipperary team, very, very hard to separate the two teams. And sometimes we just need to find an end to it. So I don't overly have a problem with the penalties. Um, part of it as well, I'd say, about these young men. Like, first of all, I think minors should be under 18. Like, even again, these lads are under are 17 and 16 and probably 15 in a few cases. It's very hard on them. But at the same time, you're now at, you know, the cutting edge of your age. You're at inter-county level. These lads are now starting to dip their toe in the water of what it feels like to be an inter-county hurler. Because... You know, we wouldn't really care if it was, you know, Shamie Callan standing over it or if it was Richie Hogan standing over it because they're men, you know. Mm-hmm. But eventually there's a transition that has to happen that if a lot of these lads are, asp- are aspiring to be intercounty county and we will see a lot of these lads on the intercounty stage over the next few years at senior level, it comes a stage where it's kind of sink or swim and in these big situations you have to deal with them and you just have to go ahead and do it. Maybe for me, maybe I'm playing devil's advocate there and saying that there's part of that where there's learning for them that these are high-pressured situations that if you want to be a senior player, there's more of these coming down the line. But I do think there's an argument because they're under 17. Yeah, have it at senior, but maybe don't have it at under 17. So it is it is a very tough one. But I think the one people we have to ask is, ask the underage players, ask the 17-year-olds, ask the boys who actually took the penalties. Like, okay, you lost. But some of them might man up and actually go, do you know what? We lost, but we lost. That's it. I'm taking it on the chin and we're moving on. So I think the fellas task is forget about all these owl lads like myself saying, oh, we shouldn't be taking them or we should be taking them. Ask the young players. Ask them. They know best.
Yeah, Saturday is going to be a feast of hurling. By the way, we mentioned that that uh, All Ireland minor round robin series game being Athen Rye one o'clock on Saturday, which is Galway against Clare. We've got the last round of the Joe McDonoughs on Saturday. Uh, this is the round robin series coming to a close. Offaly are in pole position to join Antrim in the final after Offaly's win in a cracking game against Kerry, where both teams just shot the lights out. There wasn't a huge amount of defending to be done in the second half of that game uh, because of the shooting that was happening during it. But Offaly holding on to win a thriller. David Nally with a late winner for them at Austin Stack Park, which means that if Offaly can avoid defeat against Carlo in Tullamore, Offaly will qualify along with Antrim for the final. Antrim already qualified, scored seven goals in beating Meath, who are definitely going to be in the relegation zone positions. Down are now fighting against relegation. Uh, disappointing defeat for them against Carlo at the weekend, which ended their chance to reach in the final. Carlo can still get to the decider if they win in Tullamore, and Kerry are lurking to see what the result is going to be there. They have to beat Antrim away from home to have any chance of qualifying for the final. But you get the feeling that Stephen Malumphy's side have probably lost the initiative because of that defeat they had against Offaly. So, um, looking like maybe it's going to be an Antrim against Offaly final, but Carlo will have a huge say in what happens Tullamore at 1 o'clock at the weekend. We've got the tiered finals in the grades below the second grade are all at Croke Park on Saturday. Uh, so, we've got a 1 o'clock start for Longford against Louth, which is the Laurie Mara Cup final. These are all being shown on TG Carr's YouTube page. You've got the Nicky Rackard then, which is Roscommon against Tyrone uh, that's the 3 o'clock start and then I think Kildare would be strong favourites against Mayo in the Christie Ring Cup final with the way Kildare have been going this year they were qualified with a round to spare and that's a 5 o'clock start that then leads into the final round of the Leinster Senior Hurling Championship where all three of the games have got something on the line so they're all at 6 o'clock uh, Leash will play against Westmead. Leash know that they need to win after Westmead got a draw against Wexford. More about that in a moment. Galway will play against Dublin, with Galway already assured of a place in the All-Ireland, but not necessarily a place in the Leinster final. If they avoid defeat, they'll be going to the Leinster final. Dublin need to win to try and get into Leinster. Also need to win because of the teams around them who are looking to try and take the other uh, top three spots to qualify for the All-Ireland series. And then you've got Wexford who have to win against Kilkenny to have any chance. And they will be hoping that Galway can deny points to Dublin in the game in Salt Hill. So again, this is all pretty beautifully set up. Sky Sports are showing the Kilkenny and Wexford game and GA Gove got Galway and Dublin if you're that way inclined. Um, this is set up beautifully, James, because of what happened <coughs> in Mullingar in many ways. Because now we've had two draws in the championship. Wexford will feel that that was a huge blow to their chances of qualifying but still in a way materially they were still going to have to win in Kilkenny in the last game anyway so yeah. Wexford were going to need a result at Nolan Park whether they drop points in Cusick Park or not but we've got to give huge credit to Westmeath for rooking out a late point against Wexford in that game Yeah that took fair heart from Westmeath you know like the they, they've contested games, let's say, uh, pretty pretty well, you could say, over the last number of weeks, but still got a couple of beatings. So for them to to stay in the fight, you know, and put themselves in a position to get something out of the game is is commendable. Like, and you know, I I think this that kind of performance needs to be lauded more because you know of what Westmead have been up against in terms of their own development. You know that they're not a tier they're not a tier one county. Like tier one counties, like, we we know who they are. So for them to come along and challenge them and 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 take a bit of a scalp off them, it's it's a great thing that they can build on. So credit to them. And I know I, I admittedly I only saw the highlights on 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 the Sunday game. It looked like it was from twenty miles away. But you didn't see much. Jeez, uh, I don't know. I, I just want to see the jerseys. Never mind anything else. But you know, so you got you got a sense of of, of what went on. Um, so credit to them and full value for what they got over. But to go to go to Wexford for a moment um, that's I know they got a point of it and still we look at the game at the, at the weekend and say right it's in their own hands to a certain extent right they can still qualify but that game is going to knock the stuff out of them like that, that if they started off the year thinking right we can be all Ireland contenders we can challenge this now and we can get it 
that game there in itself will put huge amounts of doubt into them. And I, I don't think that could be underestimated. So that, that's a big challenge. We know we talked about Liam Cahill has a challenge with Watford, but Darry Egan's got a far bigger one <laughs> with, with, with his Wexford less because for them to... I'll say, I'll say lose the game. Right? I won't say they'll get a draw. For them to lose the game in the manner they did, because that's what, in, in, in the scheme of things, that's, what, that's what's happened. It's de- it's, I think it's detrimental to the, to the referees. Like, even if they do qualify, I see them get knocked out around after. You know, it's just it, belief. When you get, Paul will tell you as well, like, when you get to the later st- stages of the, the championship and you come up against the best teams, right? you obviously have to prepare for your swell. You obviously have to play well in the day, but you have to believe in everything you're doing and believe that you can, you, you can do it. So if Wexford come up against a, a Watford or a Limerick, will they, will they actually believe that they can do it? And I, as of right now, I think a lot of other players will be saying, Jesus, we're, we're not up to it this year. Honestly, that, that sounds harsh. Don't get me wrong. But like, they put themselves in this position. So I think, uh, I think yesterday did more damage for, for, for Wexford than that, that can be quantified at the minute. It's up to Wexford to provide a response, Paul, after the way they hurled. Yeah. Because if you think about it, despite all the drama at the end and Derek McNicholas putting the ball into the net and we can particularly laud the fact that he's been hurling senior for Westmead since 2004, which is remarkable when we sit here in 2022 and he was there to be the hero on the day. And I love some of the stories coming out of the game. Uh, Joe Fortune, both of his parents are from Wexford and he said afterwards I hate the fact that I've probably knocked Wexford out of the championship that was never my aim but I have to try and do the best for Westmead we remember playing Joe Fortune audio after the league final where he was saying to me that they had to pretty much lock the door and the management team had to sit outside after they put in some very indifferent performances early in Division 2A of the league they've turned it around since and this is a result that's right up there like Westmead sorry about this James beat Galway when Galway were All-Ireland champions in the league back in 1986 that was back maybe when the league was a little bit different and lads used to kind of ease it into the year and it was played over the end of a calendar year and into the next year and all that but still that was Westmead's most famous win they've had a few good results in the years since um, I'm thinking outside of winning tiered competitions they beat Dublin in 06 in the Leinster Championship proper and they beat awfully when there was that kind of strange preliminary round robin into the series back in 2016. They were both huge results. Wouldn't want to ever overlook them. But getting a draw against the 2019 Leinster champions, so a Wexford team of three years ago were walking up the steps in Crow Park. That draw is such a significant result for Westmead. A team who were just freshly out of Division 2A and the Joe McDonough Cup winners from last year. Yeah, it's enormous. And, you know, got a draw off a Wexford team who didn't just disappear after they won uh, a Leinster back in 2019. Like, they they were one of the best teams in the league, got as far as the league semi-final, are a team that would have fancied themselves to go and win a Leinster final this year. Certainly within Wexford, they would have felt that. You know, so there are teams that, like, going down to... We can't rule out the Wexford aren't going to beat Kilkenny at the weekend. And I say that from the point of view that I believe Kilkenny are going to win the weekend. But... You know, there's lots of people that might tip Wexford to go down here and actually put in a result. So that's where we're holding Wexford. Westmead got a result against this Wexford team. And it's it's down to Westmead. It's not down to, you know, Wexford, however well they played. You know, that can't be the narrative the whole time. It is fair play to Westmead. And never mind that, they were down to 14 men for a significant part coming down the home stretch. And didn't give up the ghost, didn't give up the ghost. And I, I was looking at a bit of the game and... What was great was, again, okay, what, what the filming was maybe wasn't brilliant, but you got a sense of the atmosphere and that the crowd were actually going, we could actually go and do this. And maybe one of the ways that they just got it was just closing it out in the end and not maybe giving Wexford much of a chance to go down and, and get a point over the bar. But no, Westmead, in fairness, this is a good big moment for them and and, and they deserve to enjoy it. I know they have, they have business coming up now that they need to tend to and they need to play a leash, but... 
fair play to them, you know, because so often people are questioning about the gaps between these teams and so on. Well, Westmead are making the argument as to why these structures are working and why they're knocking on the door. Okay, they'll say they've worked to do it underage to bring the whole thing up. But look, Westmead Beckley Kenny had underage a few years ago and a very significant win as well. So I think they all deserve great credit there. And the story they've had this year, it'd nearly be like they should nearly have an ESPN 30 for 30 or one of those things about it because locking the management out of the out of the dressing room with different things. But look, full credit to them and to the, to the, to the Westmead panel and their supporters I just think they need to do, enjoy this and, and take all the credit yeah for them they will feel the most important thing is to avoid defeat against Leash this weekend and, and finish the job out in many ways because you can pat yourself on the back for the Wexford result if they stay up if they go down it'll feel a little bit bittersweet it'll be they got the result in the wrong game in many ways it's funny I was listening to uh, the game on the radio on the way home at the weekend and again it's one of those things about the other Cusick Park the one in Mullingar is that when the crowd were getting riled up when Westmead were getting it back down to a one score game you could almost feel in the noise coming out of the crowd just how they were getting G'd up and then Joe Fortune was speaking after the game about the fact that for the first time in a long time Westmead supporters are coming on to get autographs from their own players because in the previous home games that they played everyone wanted to talk to TJ Reid after the game and TJ had come on and had a big second half for Kilkenny this time around it was the Westmead players who the youngsters wanted to go over to and that's a powerful message and a really important one when it comes to development and then I was listening to Shadow Plunkett the leash manager and look Galway put up a big score 237 again again, they kind of eased to victory in that game at Omore Park and Galway had to do their bit of business because they had to qualify for the Leinster final and there's no mercy to be had for teams who are struggling but Leash then again picked up two more big hamstring injuries uh, Mark Dowling is out Charlie Dwyer went off two key players for them uh, Cheddar was talking about the fact that they have no John Lennon who's a very important player for this game against Westmead uh, he reckons they're not going to have two of their clock balacala players back in Picky Marr and I think he was saying they've got a couple of other players around Podgelini's definitely out they knew he was going to be out a little bit longer and you just start to wonder at that point, uh, Willie Dunphy was the other clock collar player who was thinking he was not going to be available this week. It's kind of half a starting team for Leash who aren't going to be available. I appreciate that Leash, Paul, have been able to pull off some of these one-off results in the last few years. Like They seem to find a way of winning every time, particularly in Division 1B of the league. And you know, This year they put it all into the game against Antrim. Last year, relegation playoff against Westmead, even after Westmead had won the Joe McDonough, got a result in Port Leash. Back to Port Leash again this week. The big concern I'd have for Leash, though, is can they overcome that amount of injuries to actually get a result? Sometimes they just catch up with you. Yeah, that's it. I mean, they're, unfortunately for Leash at the moment, they're, like the, the injuries is a lot. And as you said, it's a significant part. And the names you're mentioning, like, you know, they're just such pivotal players for Leash. Um, and again, we talk of Westmead, they're in a good place at the moment, you know, and they're, they're, they're coming off the back of, you know, a, a good Wexford match. Um, where they'll have taken a lot from it and they'll have the finish line in sight where they'll want to close this out and go, yeah, get over the line. So it's a tough place for Leash at the moment, but sometimes that's just the way things break for you. You know, when you're down, things just some, sometimes don't seem to go your way. So it, it, unfortunately for Leash, it's very hard to see where to go. But look, again, Leash have proven us wrong several times over the last few years and have only been happy to, to, to prove us wrong. So potentially this could be another one. But like you said, eventually it does catch up with you at some stage. So maybe this could be the game where it, it just catches up and it's just a bridge too far for Leash. And look, at they don't need sympathy, but it'd be a completely understandable situation if it was a bridge too far. They just have, unfortunately, so many injuries. 
Yeah, we'll see how their week starts. They're minors no matter what happens uh, tonight uh, between Leash and Offaly in this historic first ever Leinster minor final between them. And I believe uh, the tweet earlier on was 9,000 tickets have been sold. So it seems most GA supporters in Offaly and Leash have decided, pile in. Let's see if what bit of silverware can be won in hurling for one of the two counties. So it's created a remarkable buzz ahead of that game at Amor Park tonight. Uh, but kind of looking forward, James, to what's going to happen elsewhere. Galway routine win against Leash know that yeah. they're into the All-Ireland series <coughs> yet know that they want to get a result against Dublin and let's be fair Dublin knocked you guys out a couple of years ago when we had a round robin series and there's a chance for some revenge here for Galway mm, that won't be forgotten either mm. no <laughs> straight up like you know it won't be forgotten either yeah so like uh, regardless of who's over Dublin or where he's from where he's from he's coming down to do a job against Galway so it's, it's in, again it's in Galway's hands as far as I'm concerned because they're in good form they're in a, a good sustainable form they're they're beating you know obviously the big game against Kilkenny but they're beating the teams that's put in front of them uh, and like you said no sympathy difficult games to come through because your stock sometimes can go up or down if you don't win by 25 points you know it's nearly like you know, how good are you actually going to say when you come against the big team so I think this is a, it's a great game to I'd say cap off the round robin for Galway um, get a, a good one of the big four teams coming down hopefully put in a good performance and if you obviously win the game and then set yourself up for a Leinster final which I believe will be against Kilkenny obviously in, in Croker so again Galway like, they'll create their own targets they'll create their own mission over the game so regardless of where Dublin stand at the moment Galway their main objective is to get in white Dublin <laughs> get the two points and move on it's that simple you know it's that simple so but like Dublin they're in I have to say well, they're, they're, like, they were fantastic low in Wexford in terms of the grit and the fight you know they were great like, and an image that sticks in my head is the, the Danny Sutcliffe block on Liam Ryan that was not evident at all on Saturday evening. Like, and it's just, it looked like there was just a lack of quality. You know, I was counting there in the first 25 minutes. Uh, nine balls went in where a Dublin player was out in front. Nine balls. And all he did was touch the ball and he miscontrolled it. So that, that, that quality of the ball sticking was, was killer for Dublin because they couldn't get the ball to stick and build any kind of platform for, for scoring. And the only scoring was a seven points from play. And I've wrote down here, Kikini got... What's Kikini get? They got... Oh man. Joe, I'm going to have to put uh, this notebook up online at the end of the series so people can. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there's a bit of everything. The script, the script is across there's the a bit of everything. But uh, my point will, right? Kilkenny <laughs> got, got 319 from play. Do you know what I mean? That's, 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 that's a fair stat line now and a fair scoreline, and Dublin didn't produce anywhere near that. So I'm struggling to see how Dublin can win this game. You know, if if if, if Galway can put, like have have things tied at the back, and their backs are in good form, I have to say. So it, evidence again suggests to me that there should be no shock on the on the cards here. But like Dublin will throw everything they have. Again, we mentioned it's in their hands, so you become they'll become with a bit of fight. You'd imagine, and the key thing is to get them out of the game early. <laughs> you know, respectfully speaking, get them out of the game early, sink them because you, the more you leave them in, the more they're harder to shake off. So and like I'm I'm, I'm saying that as if they're, they're a lesser team, they're not. But right now, Galway are expected to win this game, and to do so. They need to put them, uh, you know, put them to the sword early. Hmm. Paul, is there an element of Groundhog Day about Dublin hurling though? Because get the great result against Wexford, have already you know started well, getting points on the board against the games with Leash and against Westmead, and then we were saying that Kilkenny was going to be the litmus test at the weekend. Kilkenny had gone, they had bullied them, they put in a big performance against them in the league. And Kilkenny went up and did exactly the same thing against Dublin. And in a big fixture where Dublin are trying to turn over one of the genuine, really big teams and a you know a contender to win the provincial championship and a contender to win the All Ireland, and Dublin did not deliver last weekend. No, very disappointing. And even the fact it was in their their own backyard. I mentioned it last week about how. Uh, like Parnell Park how like a cauldron it is and that the Dublin fans get in top of you and after, after last weekend I was kind of actually thinking well how many times you know over the years 
has that really happened and reflected on it you know it's it's a long time since i've really felt that in in parnell park um and disappointing again for dublin like i think something dublin have to do is is there a tendency to get carried away with some of their performances? Like, okay, they bet Wexford and Wexford Park by a point, and there was the heroics at the end of Danny Sutcliffe, and, you know, there was great defending, and but there was also opportunities for Wexford to win that batch. So you kind of come away from going, brilliant, we won it, but, lads, heaps of room for improvement here, because I think back to Tipperary in the league, and they bet Tipperary down in, in Turles, and Tipperary lump ball down on top of Paddy Smith, and for me, what I thought was that, Tipperary fed into the Dublin plan and I think Dublin kind of thought they had the, the nut cracked after that after that night that we have this great plan whereas Kilkenny just looked at it and said lads Paddy Smith's going to be sitting there in the D don't give him the ball and Kilkenny went and hammered him up in, up in Parnell Park so I thought Dublin might at least come at this game and go you know what lads look at we don't want that happening again you know even if Kilkenny start up they're going to get a goal potentially even if they get a bit of a lead lads stay at them but they just fell away they completely fell away and what what was encouraging for me with Kilkenny anyway certainly was they just turned the screw you know you have lads competing they made four changes for it and the four changes had a huge impact and I know like the lads who lost out there you know the Killian Buckleys and different lads and Connor Browns like they'll be busting to get back in the next day and competing and that'll be the attitude that the Kilkenny lads will have but like the likes of Keane Kenny coming on there four points the first three balls he got in the game he won him and put him over the bar. Brilliant, you know, absolutely brilliant. Mossy Keown came in, added a bit of physicality to, to the full forward line as well. You know, I was marking possessions there. I had Mossy Keown down for about 18 or 20 possessions in the game. Like, that's the kind of stuff that Sean Finn does for Limerick, like picking up balls and working balls out. Any player who gets on about 18 balls in a game is pushing for man the match. And I'm looking at the Kilkenny side of it, you know, we had the likes of Alan Murphy, Richie Reid, Paddy Deegan, these lads who were touching around that. And I'm looking at the Dublin side, and outside of uh, Donald Burke or someone, there's very few lads that were even talking about those numbers. So there's your indication about where Kilkenny were at. And one thing certainly as well that I'm delighted with Kilkenny across the board is I was looking at their physicality and how they finished out the game that there was one point that just typified Kilkenny and the attitude. Like they were already up, I think, at this stage of double scores at Dublin and finished out beating them by double scores. But... The, the ball Rotija went back and flicked it away and Owen Cody got it and they were just swarming the Dublin players. Owen Cody ran up the line and put it over in the 45. I absolutely love that because for two reasons. The attitude didn't waver coming down the home stretch. But also, like where Kilkenny's conditioning is at at the moment is, is, is brilliant. It's something that I'm really delighted with because conditioning doesn't happen over like, it doesn't happen over six weeks, it doesn't happen over six months. You kind of need it over a year or two years. And if you want to go toe-to-toe it, with, with let's say Limerick or you want to go toe-to-toe with Galway or you want to go toe-to-toe with Clare at the moment your conditioning has to be able to s- sustain 70 minutes of hard hurling and Kilkenny look like they're out seeking that 70 minutes of hurling because when Dublin slowed down at the weekend Kilkenny didn't slow down so for me at the moment the fitness levels of Kilkenny I'm just absolutely delighted in the physicality which they're playing with all the players are in savage condition they don't seem to be carrying too many injuries Conor Fogarty is back from, from injury as well so they seem to be managing their injuries very well so for me for Kilkenny looking like that they want to seek the pace of this championship that's a huge indi- indicator for as, like, as a Kilkenny supporter I'm going they look like they can last the pace of this championship and that's a bit of that is down to or a large amount of it is down to the conditioning and the condition they're in at the moment which is, which is brilliant yeah, ruthless efficiency as well. They certainly didn't take their foot off the pedal at any point during the game. And the fact they're now plus 55 scoring difference maybe tells you a little bit about the way that Kilkenny went about their business at the weekend. And mm-hmm. I'm glad you mentioned Richie Reid because there's been a lot of talk about uh, how well Owen Cody played and Adrian Mullen got in a lot of ball. But 
he came out with so much ball when Dublin decided to go a little bit longer and put the ball in the half-back line. He seemed to come out multiple times with the ball. So really, really good performance by Kilkenny. James, did Kilkenny go out now and back that up and just sweep out their last result against Wexford? Because to me, it felt like the performance was almost a bit of a statement against Dublin. Like they lost to Galway. There's no room for failure in the last two games. So Kilkenny went out and were really on it. Do you reckon they're going to be on it again this Saturday night? Yeah, I do. I think they've like, even though... you even though they lost the goal game, but the way they they fought back and saying got got to a draw, you know, with seconds left, let's say it still provides some momentum to a team. So they they capped it off again in Parliament Park at the weekend, and I think they're going to do it again this weekend coming. And like I was, it was a point I was going to raise. What Paul mentioned about the physicality condition, like that's like the Kilkenny boys look they look they look big. Do you know what I mean? Like everyone looks at the Limerick lads, and I don't know. I think it's the jersey that helps too. Like but, you know that the Limerick lads look massive, but the Kilkenny boys look well conditioned, very strong, physical. Carrying good weight, you know, not not bad weight. Carrying really good weight, so they can mix it with anyone at the moment. And then you cap off that with we're bringing in players like King Kenny. Didn't know who he was to be honest. Murph. Next thing he pops up with three balls as he said, like and so you're getting uh, not and they're by no means a cameo performance. Like he's he earned his way onto that team and he produced the goods. Like so when you're introducing guys who let's say were were numbers 17, 20, you can say they come in and they 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 issue that kind of performance. So it's great for a team in the sense that you you know you've got 20, 20 odd players to come in and do a job for you. So going down with the weekend. They're playing a Wexford team that is severely wounded, severely, severely wounded. So I just think in North Kenny style, they're going to put the knife in, <laughs> just stick it. You know what I mean? So, and like I, again, it's it's hard to see like when you're looking for evidence. Like, will will Wexford outwork Kenny? Probably not. Will Wexford outscore Kenny from play? No, they won't. That's just to be honest to say. So when 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 that kind of those two big stats come up in line. It's hard to see how they how they manage anything else because they won't run at Kilkenny and draw as many fouls as you'd, you'd imagine. So. You'd imagine they'd, they'd, they'd want to. So I can't see Anthony Burke Kilkenny victory and I do think it's going to be five, maybe six points and then showdown to handshake number two coming up. <laughs> well, look, I can ask you about this, James, because Paul will have to keep a handle on the hype and everything around Kilkenny. But there's two games I really want to see. Well, there's probably three games I'd like to see throughout the rest of the championship. We're going to get to see Clare and Limerick again anyway, guaranteed, because yeah. they wants to find So that's great. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing Galway against Limerick when they've been so tightly matched and Galway look like a good matchup. We're going to see Galway against Kilkenny most likely in a Leinster final. And the other one that I really want to see, Skell, at some point is Kilkenny going up against Limerick again. Because you talk about how big they look, you talk about physical they are, you talk about how strongly they finish the game. We haven't got to see it because they haven't met up over the last couple of seasons and we have to look back to 2019. I'm really looking forward as a neutral to just seeing Kilkenny against Limerick when it happens because it's surely a case of it will happen at some point over the next couple of seasons at least. Well, I'll, I'll be mystic here now. Limerick will win the Leinster final, oh, right? right? Galway will win Leinster. So Kilkenny can fire over the far side there on Limerick's side. Get out of our side, get over the far side and they'll meet in the semi-final. So what you're trying to say is I'm going to get all my dream matchups here if that happens. So Everything. Get, I, yeah, you see, I from my perspective... Kilkenny, get to see the Limerick against Kilkenny potential semi-final. I think Galway Limerick in the final. I Galway Limerick in the final, right. Stone, stone. <laughs> I know. I, I, I messed it when I said that. But like, it's, it's going to be a hard road for anyone to get to the final this year because teams like... There, there, there's a lot of evenly matched teams at the moment and I'm interested to see when the round robin is taken away and you go into the more decentralised venues how that either limits a team or, or enhances the performance like so but I uh, I want to see Galway versus Kenny first that's the first one I want to see because I want to see Galway back it up I want to see them produce what they did again in a centralised ground and that'll tell me more about where Galway are going long term you know and say Murphy are the same way too a grand claim the Dublin's in, but you want to see Galway Kikini, battle it out in, in Leinster final and you get a true 
graph of where teams are at present, you know, because again, I, I do put value on home, on home venues, I do. So, but when you bring them to centralized ground, I'd be interested to see well, how things uh, how pan out there. Yeah, like I don't think like no, either side doesn't fear each other at this stage. And I think when when you have a belief in your team, like I mean, you you fully believe that, and you want to see Galway go the whole way. And I fully believe that this Kilkenny team can do the exact same thing and, and go and match Limerick and oust them on their day. I, I do believe that. So when you believe that, you don't care who you play. You don't you don't want to go. Listen, I'd rather a softer route, or I'd rather this way, or I think it would suit Galway or Kilkenny to do this this or that route. Like when you have belief in a team and a panel that they're capable of doing something. You don't mind who they play, so I'm looking forward. Like Kilkenny and Galway again, if they do meet, hopefully it's looking like they will. Brilliant, and it's going to be a brilliant match either way. You'll be able to walk away from it, going, that's going to be a brilliant match. And likewise, if Galway play Limerick or Kilkenny play Limerick at some stage, you're just going, well, that's where they want it to be. If you're playing Limerick, first of all, you're at the right end of the championship. That's going to be the yeah. bottom line. So if you're playing these teams, if we're playing Galway, most likely we're where we want to be. We're going to be in the Leinster final. If we're playing Limerick, most likely it's because we're where we want to be. We're in an All-Ireland semi-final or an All-Ireland final. So you want to play these teams. So this crack of, oh, we'd rather play a Dublin or something and build up the confidence. No, you're not going to win anything that way. You, you want to play the best teams who are who are on the crest of a wave really at the time. So I can't, I can't wait for hopefully a Kilkenny Galway Leinster final. Skell, one last question for you because I sent you the clip last Tuesday. Joe Canning, your former teammate, was on with Joe Malloy on off the ball last Tuesday night. Uh, big interview. I think it been recorded the weekend before because uh, he's doing the uh, GA tours at the moment around uh, Crow Park and had been uh, promoting that. He spoke about kind of his time between Anthony Cunningham's time in charge and Mial Donu coming in, and the conversation kind of like delicately moved towards Joe brought him down the line of there's been all this pressure on you and we spoke at this only a couple of weeks ago that you know, Joe Canning was in the spotlight from the minute that he came onto the Galway senior panel and what I thought was quite interesting and I want to get your view as a former teammate of his where he said he often wondered what the impact of his almost like celebrity or the pressure that was upon him had on the rest of the panel and he said sometimes when you guys won as a group that it may well have affected you and some of the players may even have resented him a little bit because it was about the Joe show as opposed to what the team achieved collectively was that ever a feeling with you or among the camp when Joe was playing? Or what no. did you make of Joe's comments? Like, I, I, I'll speak for, for how I felt. You know, I, I'm not going to speak for anybody else, I say. But I, I never felt that at all. Like, you know, I was delighted to have the man on my team. And I, I said seven, eight months ago, when, or more even, when he retired on Off The Ball AM, that, like, a lot, an awful lot of the stuff that I've won, you know, is with him and because of him. Like, so I'm delighted to have the man on my team. I'd rather have him than not have him. Put it that way to you. Um, and then when we lost, like... Again, I've often said publicly, we didn't help him as much as we probably should have. You know what I mean? Either through maybe bad performance, didn't show up, etc. You can there's a multitude of reasons, right? So I never would have attributed to blame to him whatsoever. Like I actually would have thought that maybe if we lost it, I was letting him down. Do you know what I mean? Because his standards are are I may may have perceived them to be higher, do you know? Um so I look at I, I won't say I dis I disagree with what he said because no, he shouldn't put that burden on himself because that's not the way it panned out, and that's not the way like I felt or an awful lot of senior players felt and even like the younger lads were, were in awe of him like, so, so he's a great boy to have around the place you know in terms of for, for, for youth development so that he shouldn't carry that for himself I can tell you here categorically that we were delighted to have him and when we got bit there was certainly no blame attributed to him Was there any feeling that when we all don't know who came in that there was a clear out because that's something else that you brought up that I thought was quite interesting about maybe 30 seconds 40 seconds after that and if you can watch the full interview on YouTube I, I thought Joe was very raw and very honest about his own feelings but he kind of got this feeling that like Mial Donahue came in, you know, maybe removed some of the players and had kind of soothed some of the issues after Anthony had been removed. 
it, did, did you get that feeling that some players hey, were maybe agitating in the background? Because the feeling he got was these were players who weren't necessarily frontline starters, but those who were on the panel and maybe in the year of management or something like that. Yeah, look, I, I found it hard because I remember like Michal coming in and we meeting in the Lockery Hotel and he's basically saying that the whole panel was coming back for the year coming forward and everyone was going to be given ample opportunity to prove themselves. Um, so in terms of a clear out, I can't say I remember that. The, the next year then, there was obviously panel changes because Michal had obviously settled in. He was 12 months in the job at this stage. So there was guys that left, right? Yeah. In terms of instigators onto the case, no. I, from what I felt when Michal came in was like he hardened the team up, if you like, you know, in the sense that um, there was probably an element of self-pity a bit about us. There was. And look, I, I have to be honest about that. There was probably an element of self-pity. Was self-pity down to some big defeats along the way compared yeah. to like I mean we spoke about it a couple of weeks ago remember the papers were writing about you guys going you know Galway's flops slip up against Wexford or you taking a hammering against Wexford and next thing that became something about steely determination and the rest of 2017 we know how the story finishes that, is yeah. that the kind of self-pity you mean? Possibly like I, 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 Michal would have taught me anyway personally like the first place you look if something goes wrong and if you get bet the first place you look is in the mirror that's the first place and I think maybe in Galway teams of the past we would have always been kind of blaming external factors or blaming a ref or blaming a venue or something like that and I just think when he came in there wasn't a clear out in my opinion but he just fuck it, sorry he just hard us up do you know what I mean he just got us alright it's a podcast yeah. you can get more just, loose with the language go on. yeah just got us a bit hardened up let's say and uh, he would always say that it's on you it's on you on ye so at the end of the day we can't help you when you're out the pitch so like lads did change lads did go lads retired because they, they, they hit an age when they couldn't perform you know or, or at the pace that Michael wanted like so I honestly can't say there was a clear out um, lads left and did it make an awful difference overall to the team I'm going to say no I just think the lads that were there you know just sorry made a decision that kind of enough was enough to be honest and uh, we knew we were good enough to win it like collectively like when you look around the room it's easy point at Joe and point at you know the part man is the cotton man is their class, but we look at number the guys who were on the bench, the Jason Flynn's, the Nile Burks, these lads. They said, "Geez, yeah, we've got cover here. Like we've got a good squad. Like you, we've got what what water do you think I have now? Do you know what I mean? Like and then obviously that's, that's going the way it's going. So like uh, I I just think that an awful lot of factors helped us win. Do you know what I mean? And I just think the first the first place was where it started was where Miguel said, "Hard enough boys and get on with it." <laughs> Simple as that. You know? Right, well, I'll tell you on a final note, what I find most interesting about that then is that this is something that was definitely in Joe Canning's head because he had to think about this all the way through. So even if maybe he hadn't sat down and had conversations because he used the word vibe, that he got a vibe within the dressing room that maybe some people within the panel didn't particularly like that he was talking about Shefflin in 2012 and that maybe there was some feeling that Joe was to blame and he was talking a bit too much back in 2012. You might not have felt that, but obviously he felt it in his head at some point, James. Yeah, like, and like, I, I played, what was it? I, I played 20 years ago, more, let's say, right? And like, even probably 13 or 14 years of senior, and I, the vibe is one thing, but like, if it's a vibe, talk about it. Do you know what I mean? Have a chat, let's say. Air it out, let's say, with, with some of your closest teammates and see where it goes. Because if it's inside and it's effective, it's in your mind, it's obviously impacting you. Whether it's 20% impacting you or 1%, it's impacting you in some way, shape, or form. So just kind of to eradicate that, open up about it, have a chat about it, settle it. So, but that never happened. Like, I never, never had a chat with them. Do you know what I mean? Like it's it'll be hard for me, you know, to uh, to to probably how do I say initiate that conversation because I'm not getting the vibe. Do you know what I mean? In my head, right, he was fantastic, he was brilliant, and he was our main guy, and we needed him. And like I always thought he was on farm. So how, how do I bring that to his attention? <laughs> it has to be the way around. <laughs> yeah, conversations that weren't had. Maybe look 
five year anniversary is coming up in 2017 you can all have a pint and sit down and have a chat with it and keep it all off air and uh, maybe be an interesting chat between you well, I'd like <laughs> to go to the, the Leinster Minor Hurling Finals so uh, we'll wrap that up as episode 13 it'll be up as a podcast uh, for anyone who's listening uh, Monday evening as we're talking at the moment and uh, Tuesday evening we'll get the stream up I was a little bit tardy with the video last week blame the football pod they recorded in New York which meant that I ended up editing that I edited Golf Weekly last week I ended up doing every podcast but our own video before I got our own up I think on uh, Thursday evening so it'll be up a bit earlier it'll be Tuesday night this week lads great stuff as always looking forward to the last weekend of the uh, round robin at the provincials this weekend so lads good luck